So with channeling stocks, the floor and the ceiling could be a price area. It could be a moving average, something on the chart. We'll cover that in a couple of weeks. It could be any number of things. The method to find this, you look at your charts, you're looking for a consistent area of support and or resistance. Identify both of them, and then you need to take a, a study, take an educated estimate on how long it takes to move between that low and that high point. So now you know whether you're in this thing for a couple of days, a couple of weeks, or even longer. And then you have to have a technical reason to trade. There's something on the charts that I'm looking for. I understand. Questions will start to be flooding in. Covered calls on your long-term holdings. This is used to generate some ROI, some returns, if you will, on your long-term holdings. Concept is similar to a vacation rental. So let's say you own a ski condo up in Mammoth or up in Tahoe and we get a dump of snow. At that point, rents go up because all the skiers want to come in and ski. And they'll pay too much for rent to be able to take advantage of the fresh powder. All you're going to do now is rent your condo when the prices are inflated, when the prices are high. We're going to take the same concept with stock. When the stock price elevates or rises, we're going to look to sell calls against that and capitalize on that overinflated rental. Rules on this. Oh, one nice thing though too, in a rental, there are landlord-tenant laws that you have to abide by. Selling covered calls, you kick them out whenever you want. So if you don't want that person to own a call against your stock, you buy it back. You close it instantly. There are no landlord-tenant issues. Kick them out. You might have to pay to get them out, but you can get them out. Now, what you want to do with this, you got to get to know your long-term holdings well enough so that it makes an upside move you can spot where it's likely to stall or even pull back. Admittedly, there's an art to this. It takes a while to get your head around this. You're studying an individual stock as opposed to looking at 60 and finding the best one. There is an art to this. It takes a while. You're going to practice. You're going to sell calls to capture that pullback in price or to capture some time value when the stock's going sideways. If this makes no sense to you, that's okay. You've got years to study this. Don't worry about it. You sell calls when the stock's about to fall or it's been stalling after a strong move. Do not sell them in front of a known event that could cause stock price to rise. Because, why not? Because these are long-term holdings you don't ever want to sell. You want to hold on to this forever. So you want to be very selective as to what, op or what strike you sell and when. Typically you sell this month's call option. Maybe occasionally you sell next month. You choose a strike where you're comfortable you make a small profit and, highlight the word and, circle that, and not have it taken away from you because you don't want to sell your stock. You want to hold on to that forever. Because if you've owned it for a long time, now you get to pay a 20% capital gains rate. Let you ponder on that one for a while. So what you're going to do, you're going to sell the call option. If you're in a very strong bull, you sell it one to two strikes above the current stock price, basically out of the money. The goal on this is to squeeze small profits out of the movement in your long-term holdings. Remember, you've got a store of wealth there. It's just bouncing around a little bit. You're just trying to capture little bits and pieces, a quarter, 50 cents, a buck, two bucks, depending how, on how expensive the stock is and on how volatile it is. But just small little moves. You have to have enough shares such that the commissions and the bid-ask spread don't chew up all your profit. As an example, you've got 100 shares of ABC stock. It's going to move a quarter. And you go and you sell an option, you make 25 bucks. Sounds pretty good until you realize that your broker fees are probably $22.50. You just made $2.50. Probably not worth doing on 100 shares. Typically, you want to see 300 shares or greater on most stocks. 
So you go with that. If you did 300 shares, you made a quarter, 75 bucks. Commissions cost you 20, 25 bucks, something like that. You net out about 50, give or take. You look at it and you say, 50 bucks, why don't I want to waste my time? You're focused on the dollars. It's 50 cents against the price of that stock. Do that a bunch of times in a year. That's a small little dividend. Do that a bunch of times over the course of a few years. It starts to add up. All you're trying to do off this is to get the cost basis on those long-term holdings to zero. Think about it. You've, it's basically like having a rental property that you paid fully in cash. $100,000 condo, you rent $1,000 a month. In 100 months, you paid for your condo. It's free. Do that again and again and again. What's cool, though, about the stock is with your condo, you can't build a second floor on it. But with the stock, you could start with 1,000 shares. You get enough money, now you have 1,100 shares. And then 1,200 shares. And now you're making a little bit more on that piece. And 1,300 and 1,400. It's a lot more fun than real estate. And you don't got to deal with 10. So we had a call trade there. As it fell back down from July 15 through about the 29th, we did not have a put entry. Right? It didn't go above that purple line. Because I want to catch it as it rises above and then comes back down. It never cleared that cleanly. I never, so January, was that, sorry, July 22nd, we were down, wick down below. I didn't close under that, so I couldn't catch that next big move up. But on July 29th, see the big white candle there? Now it rolled back down. I could get an entry going back down. So on the 29th, it closed at a, what, 50 and a half, something like that. Next day, it gapped down below my ceiling, so I could have got in there at around 49, right? I'm in there at 49. One, two, three, four, five. About seven days later, I'm out at 46. I made three bucks. If you got right out at 46, great. Maybe you got lucky and got more of that wick down below. Didn't close under that, so I wouldn't have that bullish move back up from August 7th through August 12th. August 12th, it closed north of 46. Now I've got my eyes open to look to do a bearish trade coming down from there. That red candle, there's a gap in there. I don't know if you would have chased that or not. If you did, terrific, you got it. If you didn't want to chase it, you missed it. All we're doing, just calls and puts on the rise and on the fall, on the rise and on the fall, over and over and over. You're not going to catch every trace. Splits. Splits are a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful thing. It's an increase in the number of shares of a company's stock such that the proportionate, I think all the words on this, the proportionate equity per share remains constant. So if a company has the company has a million shares outstanding and the stock price is 100 bucks a share that says the capitalization the price of that company would be 100 million dollars. So if you wanted to if Buffett wanted to buy the company outright he'd have to put out 100 dollars per share for a million shares so it costs 100 million dollars. The company may look at that and say, you know, we think our share price is too high. The average Joe is not willing to buy it at 100 bucks a share. So let's do this. Let's get the price down to 50. The way we get the price down to 50 and to increase our stock float is we'll do a two for one stock split. So everybody that has one share will give them an additional share. So now we would have, if we did that, we would have 2 million shares outstanding. And that would mean then that the proportionate value of the company would still $100 million, but now it'd be $50 a share. So if you had 100 shares yesterday, you'd have 200 shares today. 100 shares at 100 bucks would be 10 grand. Today you would have 200 shares at 50 bucks. It's still 10 grand. But now you have 200 shares in your portfolio. The split will happen after the market closes. Now in theory, keyword is in theory, the stock split 
should not cause price to move because there was no underlying change in the value of the company. In theory, you're absolutely correct. In practice, you're wrong. Okay? For whatever reason, I don't know why, I don't care. Stock prices often will move when a company announces a split. I totally understand it shouldn't. I get that. I hear you. I can point to hundreds and hundreds of examples where it does. I'm just going to trade those that move. That's all it is. So if you talk to your CFO at your company, it's how come when you do a stock split, it'll move. It go, oh, it doesn't increase the value of the company. Not at all. He's right. It doesn't. His point is, does this mean it's a good time to buy? It's a good opportunity to look at it. It's a better way to say it. Okay? So all we're saying is this is a catalyst for a potential catalyst for movement. We'll see in a couple minutes. Typically, a company will give about two months notice, about eight weeks, that their stock will split. It can be longer. It can be shorter. And a stock split can give you multiple trading opportunities. So what you want to do is capture those trades as you see them appear. Multiple trading opportunities to the upside, to the downside. Now, splitting stocks usually fall into three, one of three categories. Because broadly speaking, there are stocks that move well. Excuse me, where the daily volume is over about a half million shares per day, and they're known names among the trading public. So John Q. Public may not know them, but people involved in the stock market have heard of the company. If you're not involved in the stock market, you maybe have never heard of this unless you happen to work there. It's a competitor with your company. So that's Group A. Group B is stocks that move well, daily volume over half a million shares. And you can figure out their industry by the company name. ABC Biotech or Acme Biotech. Pretty good guess what they do as opposed to Acme Inc. You have no idea what they do. Okay, so that's the second group of companies. Then the third group is everybody else. So usually you, can, you should be able to lump the firm into one of those three groups, A, B, or C. What you want to do then with that, you want to trade stocks that are in category A. You will take the stocks in category B. Occasionally, you'll take them in C. Preference is to do those in A. Now, the life cycle of a split, there's three major time frames. There's the period before they announce the split. There's the pre-split period. And then there's the post-split. So the pre-announce is pretty obvious. It's before the company announces a split. And it's just speculation because you don't know when they're going to announce a split until they announce a split. So if you're saying, well, I think they might, you're just you're tossing a coin. You don't really know. The only people that will know will be the chief muckety-mucks there. And they're sworn not to tell anything. Insider trading if they do. Second choice is after they announce the split. So from the, the time period between announcement and the day they actually do the split, then the third time frame is once they have done the split, the post-split. When you're trading any one of those three areas, all of the rules apply for calls and puts. We're still looking for proper entry, intelligent exit according to plan. To find potential signals that a company might be announcing a split, you can research it at Edgar Online. Companies will make a particular SEC filing, and I can never remember the name of somebody. I'd have to go look it up. But there's a filing that a company will do that says they want to release more shares, increase their float. 
When you see a company do this, a lot of times it can be a heads up that they might be planning on a split. You can do then further research to find out when they last split, what the price was when they last split, if there's an upcoming shareholder meeting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Alternative, I used to do all that way back when. Alternatively, there's a company called RightLine. It's RightLine Split Report. RightLine.net, I think I've got it up there, don't I? Yeah, RightLine.net. Or InvestmentHouse.net. They will do that service for you if you want it. Don't spend a dime. It ain't worth it. I had a couple times where I made a wonderful killing on doing those. I'm not going to do it because it's on a recording. But if you hit me after, when, after class, I'll tell the story. It's kind of a funny story. What you have to watch out for, if that hoped-for split announcement doesn't happen, the company's stock will more often than not crater. Because there will be a number of people that were expecting a split. They will dump the stock when it doesn't get announced. You've got to be really careful about those. If you're doing that kind of a trade before the potential split announcement date, which more often than not is an earnings date, if you've got a small profit on the stock, close it. Close the trade. Just close the trade. Take the profit, take the brick, and be done. If you've got a large profit, either close it or at least close the initial trade amount so you take your risk capital off the table. The rationale for doing that, for closing a profitable trade, is if that supposed hoped-for split announcement doesn't happen, you're going to get clobbered. You might as well hold on to some of the profit. And again, it's not about trying to get rich on a trade. You're just trying to take the brick. Okay, next piece you can look to trade these. Post-announcement, which is also pre-split. So a company announces a split. Let's say announce a split on January 1st. They say, hey, on March 1st, we're going to do a two-for-one split. So from January 1st to March 1st, you've got that two-month window. That's called the pre-split period. A lot of times, once the split's announced, the stock price will run up. Sometimes you can catch a small trade there. Then you'll typically see the stock pull back, and then it'll just chop around. Sometimes you get some good entries going up or going down. A volatile stock that announces a split, a lot of, not a lot of times, there are times you can see multiple trades in that pre-split window, both going up and going down. Okay, now, it's not a guarantee, but generally speaking, stocks tend to rise as they approach the split date. Do not let that historical tendency sway you from what the stock is doing. You've got to trade the chart. Just understand there's a historical tendency to rise going into the split date. You pay attention to the overall market. Pay attention to that stock chart. As you get into the split date, if you've got a small profit, you're going to be better off selling it on or before its split date. Not all stocks will rise following the split. Many of them do. It's not a guarantee. They don't have to. So the choice becomes, you want to book the profit or you want to gamble on hope that it's going to rise following the split. You just read this. Yeah, it's pretty obvious what to do, but you wouldn't know that by the emails that I get. <laughs> okay? Do not consider holding through the split unless you've got a sizable profit. You got a minor profit, just take it. Don't worry about it. Look for another entry. If you do choose to hold it through the split, it often will move down early the next day. If it isn't recovering by midday, just get out. If you didn't get shaken out on that first day, go back and study You see, you can usually hold on to it for a few days. Okay, but don't hold on to it forever. Do not try to get rich on the trade. Call it a brick and call it done. 
So that was the second window of opportunity for splits. The third one is the one I love. This is your income account. Remember the account where we go all in, buying stock, run it up, close it out. I do that in the post-split window. So with post-splits, after the stock splits, I'm watching for a pullback. So the stock does its, let's say, two-for-one split, for an example. So yesterday, I, if I had owned shares, I won't hold through the split, I had 100 shares. Today, I now have 200 shares. The stock will do its thing. What I'm going to do then is keep an eye on it for about the next eight weeks, eight, nine weeks, ballpark two months. What I'm watching to see is that the stock will do a pullback. And a pullback to me says it goes back and it hits that lower band on the daily and or 233 chart. Comes off the band, gives me a 3x entry. That's what I'm looking for. That's the trade that I want. In doing that, I'm watching the overall market conditions as well as I'm aware of the time of year, the market season that we talked about earlier. When I see that setup in that post-split window, that's when I will look to do my income trades. It works really well. If I'm going to do an income trade, I can also do a trading account trade there too, couldn't I? So if I'm going to buy stock on ABC stock, I could also buy calls. So I get, it's not two trades, but I've got two positions, if you will, on that same move. When you do trades on splits, you're going to find setups on the 55 throughout the year. During the fall, the daily will be used. I prefer to do this um, post splits on the daily and the 233. For the trading account, I will only do it there for the income account. Okay, So I'm only looking to do my income account on the 233 or the daily. And again, it's, you know, stock will split, do its thing, start to fall, hit the band, lower band, spread the band, come off the band, give me the 3x. Bang, I'm in. Make sense? Um, see what I missed. What's kind of cool with this, anybody here got a job in sales? Nobody? Just a few? Wow. I've got to get real work. <laughs> That's a fun job. What's fun to do with this, what worked for a number of years for me, when you start to see this kind of activity, if there were a place, somebody with whom I wanted to establish a relationship, I'd try and figure out if they knew anything about the stock market. And then I'd leave them messages. Say, it's Chris from IBM. I'd really like to get time on your calendar, but you know that's not really that important. Keep an eye on ABC stock. It's going to run. I'm not a broker. I can't give advice, but just keep an eye. It's probably going to run. It's about 60 days. It'll probably get to about 65 or 70, about a week or two. But don't trade it because I'm not licensed. I can't give advice. But if you want to call me back, here's my number. Right? <laughs> and you do that a few times over the course of a few months. And if that person watches that stuff, one of these days when you call, they're going to take your phone call. But how the hell did you know the last, the last three messages you left worked? How'd you know that? Man, I don't know. Yeah, I'm a salesman. <laughs> I don't know, but let's talk. So then that would start the discussion. It worked really, really well for somebody that is interested in the stock market. Built some wonderful relationships. One of them actually became, or, ma, or kids were becoming kids as a result of those kind of discussions. So if you're in sales, it works incredibly well because people are greedy. They want to hear about how to do this. So just understand you can use that that way. You got to be very, don't do that tomorrow. Learn how to do this for a couple of years. You look like an idiot, but once you know how to do this, it's not that bad. So now you've done that, not that. Now you've figured out when stocks will move. How do you get out? When do you get out? Exit criteria. When you're new, you already know you get a buck and a half or more, you get out. If the two and the three cross against you, you get out. Okay? Nothing's changed. You can remain with this for quite a long time. 
Once you get a lot of experience, this is just what we had before, you evaluate the trade as the stock approaches the nearest moving average. You got to be aware of the season of the market, its tendencies, the candle count, and what all the other charts are showing you, specifically the indicators. Lastly, get out when you're happy with intelligent reasons to do so. Ain't no different than what was on there before, the same pages from before. Okay? But again, understand the post split. That's the income account trade. Uh, somebody said, watch Apple. I didn't say that. But just understand, that's a big company that has recently, what would they do, a 10, 7, 10 for 1? 7 to 1 split. Okay? So that would be one that might be worth keeping an eye on. Do not trade it with real money. Right? Paper trade it. Watch what happens. Because you know what's going to happen. Because you get all excited, it's a big split, you're gonna do, and it's going to tank. Oh, system doesn't work. It's like, well, no, it works great. You just didn't follow the rules. Say the second part, so how often does a company split and how often does a company split? I don't know. Hey, Chris, let me ask the question differently. Watch this. Chris, how many stocks are on our post-split list now, approximately, that we're watching? About 12. So me, out of 8,000 stocks that are traded, there's 12. So you can say, well, that's not very many. And I would say, that's a lot. So, but out of the overall universe, I don't, I don't know how I would measure that. But I know that right now that I got about 12 names that I'm watching to see if I get a setup on. I don't expect to get a setup on all of them. And I'm sure over the next couple of weeks, there'll be a few more that will get added to the list. And over the next few weeks, some of those that have, I already said, keep the names on the list for about eight weeks, ballpark two months. Some of those are right at the tail end of their, you know, their two month wait for them to do something is about to end. And so I'll drop some of those off. I can't remember the last time I didn't have a name on the split list. There's always at least one. Sometimes the names are really ugly. It's like, I hope this doesn't set up because I don't want to have to make a decision to want to trade it. But for the most part, there's usually at least a handful on there that I'm always watching for candidates. How do you find that list? In the first book, it says on there, if you go to investmenthouse.com, you can get a split calendar. Told you in the first class, go sign up for that. So send you a split alert. So they'll send you emails whenever a company announces a split. You can also look at the Yahoo split calendar. So go to uh, finance.yahoo.com and dig around in there. You'll be able to find stock. It's a split calendar. You can find those going forward and then just check it once a week. Okay. Is that helpful? Or that answer what you're, or not quite the way you thought I was going to answer it, but it's easy to find. They're not hard to find. And you, honestly, you don't want 40 names. It's, it sounds weird, but it's too hard to track that many. Having a dozen, maybe 15 is just enough. Because usually there'll be a couple that will split that will come out of that. Okay? Someone else had a question? Oh, all right. So let me ask you this. So if you see a setup on the, if you get a post-split stock, gives you a beautiful setup, meets all the criteria. In other words, it's got enough trading volume and all those other factors. How many trades could you do on that? Or what trades would you do on that? Trading account and income account, right? So you're going to buy calls on one, You'll buy stock in the other. How many position? How many trades do you need to watch? How many stocks do you need to watch then? Just one. Pretty straightforward. So it runs up and it hits your price target, whatever that is. How many trades do you have to do? You got to say sell the calls to close and sell the stock. That's about a 10, 15 second exercise. Then you go back to work. Not that hard. Very, very, very straightforward. Okay. Most of the time, the stock will run after earnings. Don't care. Close the trade. See it run six, seven times? Cool. I've already told you. Close the trade. Close the trade. Close the trade. You can always get back in. There always is another entry. News. 
The next piece then is earnings. Earnings, 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 earnings. What did we cover in class three at the end? Splits. Known catalyst. They come out regularly. We don't know what company will announce, but they're announced regularly. They cause movement. Earnings, known catalyst, does come out regularly, causes movement. Both of those are awesome catalysts to trade. Love them, love them, love them, love them, love them. The course, almost all the stuff in the course is built around splits and earnings. Frankly, all this other stuff is stuff that you'll, if you study the splits and earnings stuff like I tell you to, if you go study it, you'll discover this other stuff too. And you'll see opportunities that are there as a result of splits and earnings. And you'll see them repeat again and again and again and again. The earnings stuff is next. Where did the earnings stuff come from? A number of years ago, Dell came out. Michael Dell stood up on a podium and said, hey, we had a bang-up quarter. Last quarter was back in the mid-90s, I think. We sold a ton of Dell machines, and we're going to kick butt next quarter. Thank you, Wall Street, and stock popped. Buddy of mine, very good trader, saw that. Thought, Man, that's awesome. And he went out and he marked his calendar. He looked ahead and he said, well, Dell's going to announce earnings on whatever the date was, 90 days out, 45, whatever the date was. And he made a note in his calendar and told himself just by calls that morning. And so time passed, looked at the calendar, knew that Dell was going to announce earnings that afternoon after the close. He was on top of it, disciplined. Sometime that day, he bought call options. Knew the world was his oyster. Because Dell himself, the guy whose name is on the company, the CEO came out and said, we're going to kick butt this quarter. So he just bought call options, knowing he was going to get rich on this trade. As he tells the story, walked up to his wife and said, you are so lucky you married me. Right? Up to the kids. You're lucky that my, my genes are coursing through your veins. Right? Mom could have picked somebody else. You're lucky because your dad is incredibly smart. Turned on, bought his, bought his call options, market closed. Sure enough, the camera pans out. There's Michael Dell walking up to the podium to do the earnings announcements on the analyst conference call. Stands up and he said, you know, we sold a lot of stuff. Everything went well, but man, we ain't going to sell anything next quarter. <laughs> his trade went basically to zero by the next morning. Cleared him out on the trade, which is why you practice proper money management, because you will have trades that go to zero. This happens. He was pissed off. And he looked he waited a day or two and went back and looked at the chart. And he realized, oh crap, look at that. It had a huge bullish move going into earnings. I bought it right at the top. Just as they were done. And then he went back and he looked and he said, Jesus, they did it last year also. The same thing on that same quarter. And they did it the year before that as well. And the year before that as well. And the year before that as well. And a light bulb went on. Said, I wonder if there's a pattern with this. And there is. And you'll hear CNBC talk about it every now and then. If you're listening. They're not going to come out and say, you know, Dell always rises in the August quarter before they announce earnings. But you'll hear them kind of hint to it. It's rare that they say it, but you'll see this quite a bit. So that's where the earnings trade comes from. So just the fact that a company is going to announce earnings can cause an increase in the daily price activity, daily price movement. 
Just the mere fact that they're scheduled to announce earnings can cause that. That increase in volatility is much more noticeable on volatile stocks. That sounds like the Department of Redundancy Department. It's much more volatile on volatile stocks. Said differently, don't try and do this on stocks that don't move. You want to have volatile stocks. That increase in movement where the stocks get more volatile can happen up to about a month in advance of an earnings release date. That's the pre-earnings period. There's possibility of movement all the way up to the earnings release date. So what's a company that doesn't move much? Alcoa. As an example, today, now watch, they'll start moving just because I said they don't move and I'm recording this. So let's assume that they continue to not move. Just the fact that they're going to be announced earnings, don't try and trade Alcoa. On the other hand, if Priceline, a very volatile stock these days, has an earnings release date, you may want to go back and see, is it noticeably volatile every year going into this quarter's earnings release date? And is there a pattern of bullishness or bearishness? I don't know what stocks have patterns of movement. You got to do some research. This technique takes time. This technique takes effort. But so does your job. The nice thing is you do this effort once and it pays this year and next year and the year after that and the year after that. Unless you sell insurance and get residuals, I don't know of any other employment where you do something once and you keep getting paid year after year after year. I guess songwriters would get that. A few things offer royalties. But beyond that, you still have to work every day for your paycheck coming in. This one, you just have to do the work once. So what I would start to do is I would start with the best moving stocks on your watch list. And the idea is to find movement in one of those or some of those and see if that is repeatable year to year to year to year. What you may want to do is start with the upcoming quarter's earnings release schedule. There's a calendar that shows when a company is supposedly, and they're not required by law to meet that date, but supposedly going to release earnings. You can find that published on the web. It's very straightforward. There's earnings calendars all over the place. And there's a list of those in the first class manual. It's one of the things about on the research page. Now, what you're going to do, you're going to analyze the pre-earnings period as well as the post-earnings period. So it's the ballpark month after they announce earnings. And you're going to look the same quarter for the last five years or so. So if we've got, I think, did IBM announce yet? They do on Tuesday. So IBM announces on the, if I remember, I think it's the third Tuesday of the first month of a quarter. So they're coming up on Tuesday with earnings announcements. What you could do is go back last year and look at IBM's movement and see if there is a bullish or bearish move going into or coming out of earnings. And then look two years back and three years back and four years back and see if you see a pattern of movement. It doesn't have to be a trade. Don't confuse the two. It's movement. And if you see that it generally moves or historically moves at that time of year, year to year to year, guess what you might look to trade next year or at least watch for it and see if it gives you an entry. Because when we do a trade, we still have to do proper entry, intelligent exit according to plan, make a brick. But if there's a historical likelihood or a historical tendency for it to do a bullish or bearish move as it goes into that, that would be really nice to know. 
maybe it would repeat again this year. Huh, not that hard. Very simple. Just takes work. Now, when you do this, you're going to find some stocks that have consistent moves. You're going to find other stocks that are consistently inconsistent. And you'll find other stocks that don't move at all. Not every stock is going to give you a pattern that is tradable, that is usable, that is helpful. That's okay. There are plenty of them out there. I don't see them here today. Going to come today? There's a guy that is in the fast track class. He took this oh, four years ago, I guess, for the first time. First time he took the class, he'll stand up and tell you, he goes, when I first did this, it sounded really cool. I didn't do anything with it for about a year. And then he ran into me later on and he said, you know, I was thinking about it. I should probably do this again. He sat through the class again. He loves this stuff now. Tells me all the time, he goes, this is, people have no idea the value of this stuff. He'd pay tenfold to sit through one class, right? The dollars that are there are phenomenal. But what's interesting on it, I send out a watch list to everybody once a year. What he does, as soon as he gets the watch list, he hunkers down for about 30 days and he does earnings research on every stock in the watch list right off the bat. And what's funny on that, he said, I think I know why you put this one in. Why? He said, because it has a bunch of earnings moves. I said, you think? <laughs> he said, yeah. He goes, how come I don't hear anybody else talking about it? I said, because they're lazy. They don't do the work. Said, That's stupid. I said, I know. I know what I, I can tell them, but I do it. So the historical pattern can act as a catalyst for movement. The entry criteria is the same. Proper entry, intelligent exit according to plan. You want the 3X on whatever time frame you're trading. 55 daily, 233, it doesn't matter. When you're in the trade on a pre-earnings trade, do not hold through earnings. You got to close out the trade before they announce earnings. Earnings is the wild card. You might get lucky and make a ton of money. You might get unlucky and lose your entire trade. Do not hold true earnings. Too much of a wild card. It's just a coin toss. It is not worth doing. You don't know, one, what the news will be, and you don't know how traders are going to react to that news. That's two big unknowns. It is not worth it. Just close the trade. Much more prudent to be in cash. Cash is a position. Just understand. Before you get in any trade, doesn't matter earnings trade or otherwise, before you get in any trade, you got to know the earnings date for that company. So that is one thing. It's on the log, on your trade log. You've got to know the earnings date. There are no exceptions. Do not hold through earnings. So wait a minute. What about my long-term holdings? That's not a trade. You're owning that forever in theory. You're going to ride through earnings on those. Don't care. On a trade, do not hold a trade through earnings. Okay, to do the research on this, there's a couple of different ways you can do this. You can study the historical pricing, which is the way I learned to do it, which basically says you go to Yahoo and you print out the historical pricing, you kill a couple of trees, and you look through the numbers and you can see the patterns. They jump out at you. Or you can look at the charts. It's up to you. Some people print it. Some people do it online. It's up to you. Try both ways. Figure it out. When Chris worked for IBM, we would talk regularly and he would have the ticker streaming across his work computer while he was doing his work. And so he had to look at a chart. He's watching the price action. He can say, oh, this one's going to rise. Just by watching the stream of numbers flowing across on the ticker. You can do it. It takes time. Now, these guys did it back in the 1910s, 1920s. They watched the ticker. It is very, it takes a while to learn, but you can do it. He was doing it. That's how he started off. Like, well, guy, he's a young guy. You think he'd be smart and could look at charts. He started off by looking at tickers 
and you just notice the stream of price action. You can see the price is moving. You can see when it's going. It, it takes time to get it, but I could do it a little bit. He was really good at it. I'm just kind of mediocre at it. But it can totally be done. On the other hand, it took him a long time not to look at the tickers. Right? He got addicted to that crack. Right? It's like meth. It's very, very addicting. It's hard to break that habit. But now if you ask him how often you look at the market, he barely looks at it and does pretty well with this. So different ways you can do the research. I would try them all. Look, just print out that you, we did before we did how to pull the um, historical pricing. Print out, a court, print out five years worth in the months before, let's say, IBM announces their August earnings. And see if you can see a pattern just looking at the numbers. And then go look at a chart and see what you see. Say, well, now what if I do it online? Well, try it online too. Try it and see. And try it for a few. You'll find which one you're more geared towards. Now, the other thing people will do, some of their people, there are people in the room that are programmers that think they're really, really good. Nobody thinks they're lousy. Everybody thinks they're very good at what they do, or at least mediocre. I can assure you, do, if you're a programmer, don't try and do this. And if you've got friends that tell you they're great programmers, they're lying. Do not try and write a program to solve this for you. Because there are so many factors, you've got to be able to understand what those factors are before you can automate it. So people will say, oh, but I know how to code. And no, you don't. You don't know what you don't know what you're looking for. Grind it out. Just grind it out. Do not try and hire a programmer. I've tried, and I'm a pretty communicative guy. I can express myself very well. I'm assuming that it wasn't the programmer's fault. I couldn't explain what I was looking for. And thus, that's what he gave me. He didn't know what I was looking for. Very difficult to program this. Don't even try. Just grind it out. If programmers could solve this stuff, they'd own the world. Just think of it that way. There's a window of opportunity, right? On these is what we're looking for. There's a window of opportunity about a month in advance of earnings, about a month, or sorry, a month prior to earnings, and a month following earnings. That's all you're looking for. And look at it, you know, at that one month period, look at it this year, last year, two, three, four, five years. So let's start off with warnings. Um, oh, by the way, in warning season, it'll start off with nothing. So what happens is companies are announcing earnings. We get to about mid of the second month of the quarter and the activity level will dry up. And then as you get in the latter part of warning season, that's when you tend to see more activity in warnings announcements. So it'll start off very, very slow and then the flood of activity will increase. So you'll see that again and again and again. So, all right, so all that, what does that all mean? What it means is we're, how do we trade this stuff? So you look on the next page, page 189. What we're looking for on the warnings trades, you're looking for stocks that move well from day to day in a normal activity. Hey, don't try and trade the dead. That movement is what we're going to try and jump on when there's a warnings announcement and try and make money that way. Now, warnings announcements are made when the market is closed. And the market is closed Eastern time between 4 and 9.30 a.m. So 4 p.m. to 9.30 a.m. the next day. The West Coast in L.A., market closes at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. It opens at 6.30 in the morning. So sometime between 1 p.m. and 6.29 a.m., companies will announce, will make a warnings announcement. When that warning is announced, that becomes the decision point to buy puts. Okay? It's the announcement itself. If you, wait, if you see that on a daily chart, if you wait for that daily candle to close, you likely miss the opportunity. Okay, the fact that they're making the warning announcement, that is our decision point. And now we're going to look and see if we have an opportunity with that. Now, when you do this trade, you've got to be aware of all the time frames. 
So you don't just, and you notice it says here the action chart on this is a five minute chart. Whoa, what if I can't see the market during the day? Then don't trade this technique. So if you can't look at it today or any day, just understand this, but don't try and trade this technique. So now with a warnings announcement, the expectations the stock like is going to likely gap down. What we're going to do now is wait for the stock to pull back. It's going to rise. So stock's doing its thing. They come out and they say, hey, we're not going to sell as much next quarter as we thought. Wall Street or the analysts hear that and they think, wait a minute. You just came out in the last less than 90 days on your earnings announcement and you said, hey, everything's looking rosy for the next quarter. And now six weeks later, you're telling me it's not looking rosy? That really tells me two things as the analyst community. One, either you lied to me, or two, you don't have a clue what's going on in your business. Either one of those situations, I'm gonna clobber your stock. And so the analyst will dogpile on that thing and say it's a piece of dirt, and the market will spook and the stock will gap lower. When it opens up in the morning, it will get gapped down. How much down? You go look at these, you'll see. There's no hard and fast answer. You'll be able to spot them. Now what happens now, so you've got CNBC on in, in LA, you wake up at 5.30 in the morning, you flip it on, you got Faber and all the other guys there talking about ABC stock has come out with this warnings announcement, oh my God, it's going to be horrible and the pre-market, the stock is down six bucks and they're all nervous about it. What does this mean? What does this mean? What does this mean? So now what you're going to do at 6.30, you're going to see the market open down, what I say, six bucks on ABC stock. And what happens then is there are people that really wanted to own ABC stock and they hear, oh, it just dropped six bucks. It's six bucks less, let's buy it. And so people buy the dip. If you don't think this happens, watch Apple. Anytime there's bad news on Apple, the thing will gap down and you'll see it pop up. Because every fool's trying to buy the dip, thinking this thing's gonna run to $14,000 or whatever they think it's gonna run to. So what you're doing is you're watching for that rise. People, the dips buying the dip. Do not buy the dips. You're watching for that rise, that's the pullback. And so the pullback is when it moves in the opposite direction of the decision point, the 3x. With warnings, you're not going to have a 3x. The catalyst on this is the warning. The decision is the warning. That's your catalyst. After the pullback, or as the pullback is going, ideally you want to see price hit the opposite band. And then you're going to look for MACD and two of the other indicators to cross. You've got to have MACD. You've got to have MACD. Highlight this. They do not have to cross simultaneously. Okay, but in your practice, you're going to be able to discern and get a feel for what happens if they cross, you know, maybe not simultaneously, but within one candle. What's the likelihood of that working? What if they don't cross within eight candles of one another? What's the likelihood of that working? And so you want to practice a bunch of these so you get a sense for that. Now, once you see them all cross, that becomes your entry on the warnings trade. And now once you've done that, or as you're about to enter, you've got to be aware of the bigger chart timeframes. You want to be sure that it is still worthwhile. Sometimes what will happen on that pullback, price will do interesting things on the larger chart timeframes that would say, I don't want to get in here because I'm not sure. So you may choose to pass on those, which is totally fine. There will be other trades. As you do this trade, you must, 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 must be patient. You're waiting for the ideal setup. How do you know what the ideal setup is? An hour a day for years. You've got to look at a lot of these things. There's a whole bunch of factors that you're looking for. 
the entry may not occur for a couple of days. Not that it's going to show up in the first half hour. You may not see it for a couple of days. You've got to be aware of the market calendar. We covered that last time, I believe. And any upcoming events, both related to your stock, maybe the, the lead stock in that sector, or any economic reports. When you do the trade, you're going to buy puts that are either in the money or one strike out of the money. At this level, at this level of your development, buy next month's puts. Do not buy this month's puts. So buy next month's puts. Now, when I say next month, you know, if you're at the very tail end of a month, the current it's next month in option terms, if you will. When you do this, 50% using in-the-money puts, you'll see 50% It's not uncommon. Triple-digit returns can show up with the out-of-the-money puts. But remember, you've got time of year consideration. So if you're in the summer where the market is normally dead, I probably would be a little hesitant to do an out-of-the-money put trade on a warnings announcement. On the other hand, if we're at the spring highs and everything looks like it's getting ready to roll over and we're at the time of year where we tend to see down moves, you're more likely to see larger ROIs on an out-of-the-money put trade. So what's the time frame we're looking at on this again? A five-minute chart. How long does it take for a five-minute candle to paint? Five minutes. <laughs> that is not a trick question. It takes five minutes to make one candle. What that says is, you don't, I've said before, when you see, I don't know if you guys went back and studied this, when you see the indicators cross, how long does it take generally before they'll cross again? We covered this, right? In the number of teens in the candles, we cover that? A high number of teens. So that works on a five-minute chart too. So if it takes, let's say, 15, 18 candles to cross, 15 five-minute intervals is how long? It's an hour and 15 minutes. Don't go to the gym, right? Don't get on a three-hour conference call and not be able to look at the market. The trade will not last all day. It's a very quick trade. So, well, wait, my job, I'm a surgeon. I'm, a, I'm an anesthesiologist. I, I can't see the market certain times of the day. Great. Don't do the trade. Well, I'm in conference calls today. I, terrific. There's a guy, he's not here today. There's a guy who's a firefighter that does this. So he's some, and he's, he does brush fires. So he sometimes is out in the middle of nowhere doing this stuff. He can't do this trade. There's no problem. There's hundreds of other trades. If you miss one, it's, not, it's like a bus. There's always another one coming. Got a question, Steve? So what he's saying is I'm in XYZ stock. It's not the sector leader. It's a, let's say it's a retail stock. And Walmart comes out and issues a warning. And if Walmart sneezes, then all other retailers get the flu. Is generally what happens. And his question is, when I hear that, does that mean I bail on my non-Walmart trade? And my answer would be, you bail on that trade when the, you look at the close of the candle on your entry chart. So if you did it on a daily chart, you'd wait for the daily chart to close or within a few minutes of the close. If you're in on a 55, you'd have to wait for that 55-minute candle to close and then assess. Because otherwise, if you just, you know, if you hear, you know, Walmart, what do we say? Walmart gets the, has a sneeze. You know, they've got, they get a cold and everyone else is going to probably die in retail because Walmart sneezes. That re if you react immediately at 6.32 in the morning, guess what you're reacting to? News. And how are you doing on your news batting average? You suck, right? So you got to let the candle close. So if you're on a 55-minute chart, you got to give it an hour. If you're on a daily chart, you got to give it the day. That make sense?
I'll say, yes, ma'am. You're not in, on this example, you're not in Walmart. You're in some other retailer. Oh, if you can't see the market, you mean. Understand? Okay. No? Try it again. So you're saying, so you were in, so use the Walmart example. So you're in a retail stock. Going up or down doesn't matter. You're, so on something else, so you saw a 3X on the daily chart on, let's say, Abercrombie. A&F. So you're in going up. Everything looks great. A couple days later, you think, this is great. You know, Porsche.com, right? You're, you're spending the money that you know you're going to make on this trade. Now you get what I'm saying, Porsche, right? <laughs> and so now, a couple days later, Walmart comes out with bad news. Warnings announcement. Craters it. And you look at Abercrombie and go, oh, I'm going to put it in the dirt. You can't exit that until the close of the time frame of your entry time frame. If you're in on a 233, you got to stick around till 1030 in the morning. Is that what you're asking? Well, that was a good answer to the question you didn't ask, though, right? <laughs> okay. It's not miss the target. You're going to miss trades because you just can't see the... You were busy today. You couldn't look at the chart to get in. Okay. I like the never mind part. Think about it. I'm not sure. I don't think I'm answering your question. I don't think I understand the question. Okay. No problem. Yes, sir. How do you know it's a wick? Exactly. The only way you know it's a wick until after the candle closes. When you enter the trade, you don't know why... When you enter the trade, outside of a gap, when you enter the trade, you don't know where you're going to get out. It's either going to go at any time interval. So you enter the trade on Monday, expecting it to go up, a daily chart. You don't know if you're going to get out on Tuesday or in three weeks, right? Because you have no idea. I'm pretty good at this. I'm not that good. I can't tell. I mean, I can, get, I can give you a guess, but I never know. And so, and I also don't know what the price is going to be. But I do have targets that say if it gets out down to this level on a, not a stop loss, but this is where my point of pain is. I'll be out if it breaks this level. On the upside, if it goes up and it hits a moving average, a Bollinger Band, or something, I'll be out when it hits up there. But I don't know what that price point's going to be because those moving averages are fluctuating every day. They change day to day to day because we're adding today's data and dropping off the time frame from or the, the value from 50 periods ago on a 50 MA. Good answer, Chris? Good answer, Chris. Okay. Yes, ma'am. No. Good question. Now, that's not basic. So your question was on a warnings trade. Is the end, So if you hear a warnings on Monday night, is the trade on Tuesday? Not always. It'd be a couple days out. Lawyers love that because now I'm never wrong. The five-minute chart. So if you're in a five-minute chart and you figure, you know, on, I don't like to use the word average, but on average, a trade might last, you know, teens in the number of candles. If, if, take a 12. If it's 12 five-minute intervals, that's an hour. So you're in the trade for an hour, max. Right? If it lasts 18, you're in for an hour and a half. But once you get in, this is not a... It might take you a couple days to get in to get the setup. But once you've pressed enter to get in, you're getting out very likely that day. Or if you get in late in the day, you might be out very early the next day. Make sense? Okay. Good? Okay. How much is a five-minute chart going to move? You're going to see $30 movement on that in an hour? Probably not. Right? Which says from a size of feast... Is this a Thanksgiving feast trade? No, this is a Hershey kiss, a chocolate chip cookie, maybe cut in half. It's a quick brick. It's, and it, I don't like to use the word a small brick. It's still a brick. But this is not, you do not want to make a steady diet of these. If you make a steady diet of chocolate chip cookies, you will die. Ah, good question. So how do you cover the bid ask spread on this? You're doing this on stocks that are volatile, that move a lot. And so you'll find... You go practice these, sometimes you'll find the bid-ask spread is very, very wide when you're looking to get in. How do you know if it's too wide? Experience. And sometimes you just let them go. And the ones you let go absolutely will work the best because you're not in, right? And you just got to...
is the Bollinger Bands is a slingshot. Now, this, this trade can actually be a small chart trade if you want it to, more of an intraday trade. On the West Coast, this works really well. If you have a job where you start, you know, 8, 9 in the morning, this one, a lot of times you can make attitude money before you start work. So what you can do, serious, you go into the office early, look for the trade. Yeah, I'm being recorded. Look at, <laughs> slow me down a lot. Get into the office early, look for the trade, close the trade, and you've made money before everybody else shows up to work. Not uncommon to do. So by definition, what the Bollinger Bands are, it's two standard deviations around an average, around the mean. By definition, that's supposed to encompass 95% of the sample size, if I remember my statistics correctly. So when we see an anomaly, a price, a data point that is well outside those Bollinger Bands, there's a very good chance it's going to come back inside the bands. Now, it can come back inside the bands in one of two fashions. and can come back in by snapping back the other way, price will you know, climb or, or go up or down the opposite way, or it can just go sideways and the bands will mathematically go around it and encompass it. So it is going to come back inside the bands. We just don't know if it's going to happen because it goes sideways or because it snaps the other direction. And there's no way to know. So this does require that you watch the market during market hours. You've got to be able to see this. What happens sometimes as well, when it snaps back in, it's not uncommon to see it run all the way to the opposite Bollinger Band. So you'll see that as well when you look at these. This works best with volatile, volatile, volatile stocks that are volatile during the day. What you're going to do with this, in the morning before the open, you're going to check the futures. What you're looking for is a big gap on the futures. Use the daily for the trend. Use the 55 to see if price is at least on and preferably outside the Bollinger Bands. You say, well, wait a minute. I'm not paying for futures. You told me I don't have to. You're right. You can do this with the Qs. You can do it with the Spiders. You can do it with the Diamonds, the ETFs for the market. Okay, and say, well, but they don't chart that till it opens. It's like, yeah, I know. Just look at the value and then just eyeball it, what it would be on the chart. You can do that. You don't need to pay the, the dollars for the futures if you don't want to. If the 55 is not on or outside the bands, there's no setup. Don't stare at it and wish it would be there. There's no setup. Doesn't meet your criteria. Go on to something else. Go to, since you got to work early, work. If the futures chart looks like there could be a possible setup, then you look for the market or an individual stock to gap at the open. It may gap up, it may gap down, whether the futures are up or down. That's what you're intent on. Price is going to go outside of the bands on a five-minute chart, and preferably on other time frames as well. You're going to find that setups that go with prevailing overall trend work really well. They've got a higher win rate. What you're going to do, you watch the five-minute chart. You're waiting for a reversal signal before you enter the trade. The best setups start off outside the bands and continue a little further outside the bands. They really stretch it. So it's going to be a bullish candle outside the upper band, a bearish candle outside the lower band. Now, when you go to make the entry, you're either going to buy stock or in the money calls. When price is outside the lower, lower band because you expect it to go up, you're either going to buy in the money puts or short stock when it's outside the upper band because you expect it to come back down. Okay. Once your order is filled, this next part is critical. Once you get the order filled, you immediately, and immediately means what? Right now, 
You go set a GTC order to close the position. You don't go pour your coffee. You don't run to the restroom real quick. You don't pour Cheerios. You got to set the order fast. The reason why is the market is crazy nutty in the first 15, 30 minutes of the day. It can push right through where you thought it was going to go to. And by the time you're able to log on to your broker's page, figure out the price, place the order, confirm the order, it's moved back the other way. It goes that quick. This is not a trade for the nimble faint of heart. Okay, So you've got to move quick. That's why we practice this stuff. So as soon as you get filled on the entry, go set a GTC to sell. A small, quick profit, 50 cents, pretty common. And it's going to depend on the price of the stock. Sometimes a bid-ask spread will be 50 cents. right? So you, got to, you have to gauge it based on the value of the stock. When, it's, when the market is choppy and or during the summer, it's best to do this with stock and not with an option. Because there may not be enough movement there. If you use options, you've got to have enough potential movement to offset the bid-ask spread. Because of that, it is crucial that you get the correct option. Now, the reason that this goes on, people say, well, why does this really work? Well, what happens is there's news that comes out when the market is closed. The uneducated, I don't know what to call them, the uneducated public of who hears that, and they go, oh my God, let's go buy that. And the, the pre-market activity lifts it up. And so now people are excited about it. They go, let's buy in, let's buy in, let's buy in. And the market maker will see that and they go, cool, let me dump all the stock that I wanted to get rid of to those guys, drive the price down, and then it'll do its thing. All we're trying to do is catch that pullback. This is called the end of day trade. You got to be careful where you put the emphasis in the statement. It's not end of day trade. <laughs> end of day trade. End of day trade, not end of day trading. So what this, what the page you have in front of you is a spreadsheet, if you will, for First Solar from about four or five years ago. What is that, mid-January through mid-February. You'll notice on there it's got the same columns we've seen before, the date, then we've got the close, the open, high, low, and the volume. Right? So the stock's trading somewhere in the three to four million shares per day. Lowest day there was two and a half million shares. Look on February 9th, by the way. Somebody had asked this before. You've heard me use the word market cap or daily cap, daily capitalization. February 9th was the lowest volume day, about two and a half million shares traded. Okay? Look at February 3rd, had three million shares traded, 3023500. Ballpark three million shares. The stock closed at 140 bucks. Three million times 140 is what? 1.2 billion? If I'm doing my math right? Is that right? So that says that $1.2 billion worth of first solar stock traded hands on February 3rd. Some of it was being bought. Some of it was being sold. The reason you want to pay attention to that or at least be aware of that, you're going to do an income trade with a couple hundred grand on a trade. The stock had daily cap of over a billion dollars. Is anybody going to notice your quarter million dollars doing an income trade? Nope. Go the other way. Find a stock that has volume of 10,000 shares, trading at $20 a share. Do the math on that. That's $200,000 in daily cap. You want to swing a quarter million dollars in your income account. You are the entire volume for the day. Do you think the price will move? It will. But if you're not even a rounding error, it, you're not going to have any impact at all. That's what you're looking for with regard to volume. 
So when you hear me say daily cap, what I'm doing is I'm looking at the, the average volume over about the past three months or so, and then multiply that by the stock price. And it doesn't have to be precise. Take the open, the high, the low, the close. I don't care. But just in that range. So on this one, we see if I'm doing my math right, 3 million times 140 is, I believe, 1.2 billion, if I'm correct. Okay? Make sense? So now, let's go back to the end of day trade. You'll notice there's some hash marks there on the close column, like down at the very bottom from May 15th through May 16th. Notice there's a diagonal line that points from 142.58 and it points up to 146.95. Notice that on January 15th, the stock closed at 142.58. The next day, it gapped up to 146.95. So it had a $4 and ballpark $4.40 gap at the open. You see that? Why did it gap? Remember what the answer? Never ask why. It doesn't matter. It gapped. For whatever reason it gapped, it did. That's fine. It would have been cool if you'd have bought one minute before the close on January 15th and then closed the trade one minute into the market the next day. You'd be in the trade for less than two minutes and you make four bucks a share. Nice. How dreamy would that be? And now do it. So on January 16th, it didn't do that. So anytime that there's a diagonal line drawn from the close to the open, what I did was I highlighted those areas where the stock gapped more than a dollar. So it did it on January 20th, January 23rd, the 26th, et cetera, et cetera. So you can see all those gap up periods. Now, if you look down the open column, you'll see a vertical line. There's about, one, two, three, four, about six of them there. And what that is, is when the stock gapped down. So you can see on January 21st, the stock closed at 141.42. You see that? The next day it opened at 138.31. So it dropped three bucks. Why did it drop? Don't know, don't care. It could have been a warnings. Could have been a warnings announcement. It could have been anything. Who knows? So anytime you see the vertical line, that signifies an area where the stock dropped more than a dollar. From the yesterday's close to today's open. So if it gapped a buck down, I made a vertical line. If it gapped a buck up, I made it a diagonal line. If you go through, count the number of days there. We're about 22 maybe. How many lines are there? Three, six, what about 15, 16? 16 out of 22. The stock either gapped up a dollar or more or gapped down a dollar or more. Man, if you just jumped in, you got a 50-50 chance of having a nice move, right? Is there a way to trade this? There is. Huh. Okay, what this requires, you've got to be able to see the market during the day. If you cannot see the market during the day, do not do this. You can't do it. It takes a five-minute chart. You've got to be aware of the larger chart time frames because we gotta know what all the charts are doing at all times. You use the indicators for entry just like every other entry we talk about. What you're gonna do is look for an entry on a five minute chart in about the last hour or so of the trading day. Yeah, 60 to 90 minutes, somewhere in that range. And what's an entry again? The 3X, right? All the indicators crossing, pointing up. If the charts on the five minute time frame indicate a bullish 3X, you're gonna buy in the money calls. If they show a bearish 3X, you're gonna buy in the money puts. Now you've got to highlight that next sentence. You've got to be mindful of the bigger chart timeframes and what they're telling you. Now what you're gonna find with that entry, the closer it is to the end of the day, oddly enough, the better it is. 
because there's less chance of it going against you before the end of the day. That doesn't mean in the last five or ten minutes. But if you'll see this up in the last 30, 45 minutes, you might like your results. So once the market is closed, then what you're going to do is place a GTC order, good till cancel. Put it in as a sell order that's maybe 50 cents or a buck higher than today's last bid. We've got bid ask, we're going to place it above the bid. When you're in this trade, this next statement is profound. Get out of the, so the next day, so let's say we get into first solar, Monday night at 100 bucks a share. All the, all the indicators are pointing up. We see a bullish 3x on a five minute chart, maybe in the last half hour of the day. We jump in, we buy the stock at 100, or we buy an in the money call option at 100 bucks. Market closes. We're going to add 50 cents or a dollar to the day's last bid. Put it in there. What you're going to do now the next morning, you're going to wake up at 629, you're going to be stressed out. If you didn't used to chew your fingernails, you will start. Be all nervous about watching the market. Well, I hope to send gaps. I hope it's up. I hope it's up. I hope it's up. What you're going to find, I challenge you, go look at this. The mar- and write this down. The market or a stock will... Something like 85, 90% of the time will make its high and its low point of the day before about 11 to 12 Eastern. So that's 8 to 9 a.m. in L.A. So the market will make its high point for the day and its low point for the day, usually in the first couple hours of trading. If you don't, in fact, don't believe me. Not if you don't, please don't believe me. Go find 100 examples of it. Go find a stock that moves. Look at it on a five-minute chart. And look at the high of the day, what time of day it hit, and the low of the day. And go find 100 examples on different days. And watch how often it occurs before about 11 a.m. Eastern, or 9 a.m., or sorry, 8 a.m. in L.A. It's going to hit its high and its low early in the day. Why is that important to us? Because we're just trying to capture the movement off of a gap, if you will. And what we've done is we've found on a five-minute chart, a stock, let's say, that is rising. We get a bullish 3x, it shows that it's rising. And if the bigger time frames are all pointing like this, all the indicators are pointing up, and the market's pointing up, what does it have a light, not a likelihood, what does it have a chance of doing? Gapping up. And we're going to be in. Nice. Very nice. What's the batting average on this? About three out of four. But don't believe me. Go try it for yourself. You get about three out of four right. Okay? Of the ones that are wrong, ballpark half of them will have a loss, the other half will be about break even. But practice it a lot and see if those are your results. So typical month has got about 22 trading days. So doing a 75% average that says ballpark 15 of these will give you a winning trade if all the criteria are there. Of those remaining, that says seven will be losers. Sorry, five of those will be losers, right? Ballpark three of them, two and a half to three will be break even. The other remainder will be small loss, okay? Could it be a big loss? Yes, it could, because you can get slammed by news on this. You will be the lover or hater of news. There is no middle ground. News will make you very happy or will really piss you off. And it shouldn't do either one of those, because that's emotions. It just It is what it is. But just understand that is what can go on. Now, what you got to remember, too, and again, go study this. Go look, you know, go find 100 examples of a stock. Just pick any stock, doesn't matter, and look and see if it made its high and its low before about 11 a.m. Eastern. Get comfortable with that and go, yeah, he's right. 80, 90% of the time it seems to do that. What that says then is once you've convinced yourself that it does that, now when you're in that trade, 
and the trade isn't working by about 11 a.m. Eastern, what do you have to do? Get the hell out. That's one of those. It's not doing what the historical norm is. Just get out. Don't sit and will it to happen. Don't go to, you know, don't run over to the church real quick and pray. Say, please, dear God, make this one work because it has to work. It can't be wrong. Just close the trade. There'll be another one. Okay? Got a question? 11 Eastern is 8 here. It's just, what you'll find is it's 11 to, it's like 11 to 12. It's usually when it hits the, yep. You'll see. You go look at this. Yes, sir. Will the seasons, whether it be transitional or summer or the fall season, have an impact on this? Yes. And the reason I'm hesitating, what happens in the summer? It slows down. Is it as gappy in the summer? Not as gappy, right? So the answer is yes. Yeah. I'll leave it at that. Easy answer is yes. Which means, are you more likely to do these kind of trades in the summer? Nope. And the reason I hesitate on saying that, because the last couple of days we've been very choppy, right? And if you go look at the setups the last couple of days, you're like, oh my God, this is really tempting. Don't be tempted. Okay? Question. So we follow the same option rules regardless. You definitely, you're buying in the money. And when I say in the money, you're looking for a 70 plus delta. Because remember what we're trying to do, you know, like on the first solar example, it gapped, you know, two, three, four dollars pretty regularly. So you're just trying to capture a little bit of that move. This is not a get rich, right? You do not make a diet. Wait, wait to do this until you've got many long wind streaks under your belt. You want to have your head around what a proper entry looks like. You want to have your head around what discipline is required to do this. And you want to have proven that not on paper, but many times with real money. This works really well with earnings trades because they're predictable, they're scheduled, they're consistent. They happen every 90 days. What I'd suggest you do, build your trading account. You're starting with 2,500 bucks. Build it to about 15 grand or so. And then take a chunk off of that. Maybe take 2,500 bucks off that. Move it into a separate account. Put it at a separate brokerage. And call that your ultra account. Ultra aggressive, yet ultra conservative. Aggressive with money management, conservative with the trades that you'll do. With that 2500 bucks, on the next trade that you see, you're going to go all in with options. Full account balance. This is not the trading account. This is not the 50% rule and all that. You're going all in with that chunk of money. This is Vegas money, if you will, without free booze. Okay, this is all in with that $2,500. You're going to run it up to whatever it goes to, right? Close the trade. You're not trying to get to a million dollars on this one trade. You trade the trade just like every other one you would do. Whatever the account balance grows to is fine. You close the trade. You don't close the trade based on the account balance. You close the trade based on the chart. It's no different than anything you're already doing. What happens is you get it in your head because you're thinking this will grow to a lot of zeros. You start trading the account balance and you screw it all up. You trade the trade. So now let's say that $2,500 grows to four grand, just to make the math easy. The next trade setup that shows up, you go all in with the four grand. It grows to, I don't know, pick a number, five. You go all in with the five. It grows to, pick a number, 7,500 bucks. The next trade, you go all in with 7,500 bucks. You keep parlaying the gains. At some point, you hit this very uncomfortable feeling in your gut. It's got a scientific term. It's called the vomit point. And what that is, is you would almost vomit if you had to press enter to get in the trade at the risk of losing that amount of money. When you get to that point, 
don't put the trade on. Whatever you started with, take all that money out, double your starting balance. So if you started with 20, let's say you grew 2,500 to pick a number, 20 grand. And at that point you go, there is no way I could press enter knowing I could lose this 20 grand on an options trade. It could go to zero overnight. I'm freaked out. That's fine. If you started with 2,500 bucks, double that. That's five grand. Pull 15 off, move that into your long-term holdings, move it into your income account, wherever you want to move it, but get it out of harm's way. Now start over again on the ultra account with now double that amount. So in this case, it'd be five grand and do it again and do it again and do it again and do it again. The numbers on this are gross. Nobody believes them. I don't care. You run these. If you see the batting averages that you'll see and you've heard other people talk about, these are definitely doable. But the first word up there says, wait, wait until you're comfortable with this, you're confident and you're consistent. You just take a small chunk and just do it and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, you could run it for the full year. Is that what you mean? Where's your vomit point? Oh, oh, oh I see what you're saying. Yeah, so you could run it through an earning. You could run it through earnings. But what if you have stock splits? You could do it on a stock split, right? So it really depends. You know, it, it goes back to where is your your vomit point is different than hers, different than his, different than hers. At some point, you're going to hit the oh god, I can't do this. That's fine. You want to find out where that is because the next time you hit it, you're going to push through it. You got to be able to push through because what's interesting about it, you wouldn't flinch on the first $2,500 trade, but you shouldn't flinch on the $25,000 trade either. And the reason you flinch is because you know there's an extra zero there. It's the same trade. No, it's not confidence. It's you're looking at the number. You're looking at the number and you really got to look at the trade. What I'd suggest you do, throw that up to some amount that is significant, whatever significant means to you. If you don't want to hit your vomit point, that's fine. But grow it to some amount that is significant. Move that money, that significant amount of money that. Next piece. I should change. Well, you know what? I'll still give Bernanke credit for it. At the time that I wrote this, the Fed was printing money like there's no tomorrow. And they're still doing it. So I'm going to keep it named after Bernanke, even though Yellen's on doing the same thing. So he's running the printing press, so we're going to call the printing press after him. All this is, it's a different way to think about owning stock for a period of time. This is not buy, hold, and pray, right? And it's not buy, hold, and sell in the next five minutes. It's similar to the income account. Now, some of you will look, and I urge you all of, all of you to practice this method because you have to do this in your trading career because this is what you're going to do in your long-term holdings. The same concept. The income account some people like that because they say, hey, look, I'm going to go find a new victim at the rate of about one a month. Buy the stock, abuse it, and sell it, right? Treat it like a dirt employee. Let the price rise and sell it. Some people love that concept. They want to own, you know, 10, 12 stocks over the course of a year. Other people have the mentality of, I'd like to own the stock for a little while. I don't necessarily want to sell them so quickly. And if that's more of your approach or more of your thinking, you might like this better. The idea on the Bernanke approach, what you're going to do is you're going to buy stock when there's a 3x. So you get a triple cross just like anything else. So you're buying stock and you're doing this when the trend chart is neutral to rising. Now, once you buy stock for the Bernanke technique, you've got to, be, you've got to stay patient. What that means is you've got to wait for the stock to rise. And what we're going to do is as it rises or when it rises, rather than selling the stock, we're going to sell a covered call. Okay, so now we've given somebody the right to buy our stock from us. We've obligated ourselves to deliver should that person want to buy our stock. 
Before we sell the covered call, before we sell the call, we're waiting for a reversal signal on a daily chart. The calls we sell are those that are at or just above our cost basis. So on the first iteration, that's our, our purchase price. So if we buy the stock for 100 bucks and it rises to, let's say, 110, we're going to sell the $100 call. That's our cost basis. And if the stock is at 110 and we sell a $100 call, that says it's going to be worth at least $10, right? Because that's just the intrinsic value. There'll be a little bit of time in there too. Now what we're going to do is we're going to wait. The stock's going to fall. Ideally, it stays above 100, right? But the stock is going to fall. Let's say it bottoms out or wherever it bottoms out. It doesn't matter. And now as it starts to reverse and head back up, we buy back those calls. So we sold something for 10 plus. Let's say it bottoms out down around six. We're going to use that 10 plus dollars and buy back at six. So we've kept $4 approximately in our pocket. If our purchase price was 100, our new cost basis is now 96. Follow me? So the stock cost 100, we put four in our pocket, our new basis is now 96. As the stock rises again, let's say it gets back up to 110. I'm now going to sell an option down near my cost basis. So I might sell a 95 strike. So now I picked up $15 this time, 15 plus a little bit of time. As it rolls back down, that call will deflate in value. Let's say it gets back down to the, what I say, 106 range. So it makes four bucks. I buy back the calls again. Now my cost basis is 92. It runs back up. Now I'm going to sell an option that is close to 92. That's all we're doing. Okay? Dollar for dollar. Dollar for dollar. His point was, he said, you have a huge delta. As you get deeper in the money, so as our cost basis reduces, the option that we're selling has oftentimes, if you do this a few times, the delta on that will approach one, if not be at one. What that means is that if, let's say, uh, let's say the stock keeps bouncing back and forth between 100 and 110, and we're able to capture, what do we say, six bucks of that? So we're not capturing the full 10 bucks, we'll capture about six of it. Every time we reduce our cost basis, let's say we've done this five times, so now my basis is down at 80, just to make the math easy. When it gets back up to 110, and now I'm selling, I'm getting $30. As the stock declines, if the stock drops 10 bucks, my option will drop 10 bucks. So I will get dollar for dollar on the option. I'll make dollar for dollar on the calls. It will offset dollar for dollar or very close to it on the stock. And I just do this again and again and again. Your first time going through this, on the first move, do it with the daily chart. As that then rolls over as it recovers, if you want to be more active, then do it on the 55. And you'll see more opportunities there. And again, the idea is to try and get that cost basis as low as you possibly can. Because each time you're doing that, you're increasing your total ROI. You do it as often as possible and as long as possible. How active is this? Doesn't take a lot of time. I mean, none of this stuff takes a lot of time. It's just the discipline to do it. An example on this one that I wrote up for you, so rather than doing the verbal one that I just did, you buy a stock at 39, you watch it rise on the daily chart, and you get a reversal signal at about 47. Okay, we're going to sell the call that is at our cost basis. So if we bought at 39, the $40 call would be at about our cost basis. If the stock is at 47, we know it, there's going to be at least $7 of value there, right? Because we can get something for 40 that's currently at 47, there's $7. Let's assume there's a little bit of time, 50 cents to a buck and a half. Stock then falls, 
bottoms out at about 43, stalls out. We're going to buy back those calls. So what we sold for 750, I'll take the low end of that. If the stock is now at, what I say, at 43, there's going to be a little more, more time value there. So let's take the worst case. I'll buy it for five bucks. So it says I put 250 in my pocket. So I sold for 750, bought back for five. That says now that my basis went from 39 minus 250. So now I've got a basis now of 36 and a half. I now watch the stock rise again up to 46. I'm now watching the 55 minute chart. When it reverses, I'm going to sell the 38 call. Minimum I'll get off that's about six bucks, likely six and a half to seven, 50 cents to a buck of time. I'm now going to watch the stock fall again. Let's say it gets back down to 41. Stalls out. I'm going to buy back those calls. Make a couple of bucks there. You just keep doing this over and over and over. You sell calls when you see the stock is heading down. You buy them back after the decline. You do this for as long as you want to continue holding the stock. When you do this, you become Bernanke because you're creating money out of thin air. Which option do you sell? You either want to sell this month or next month. Okay? So do, yeah, when you're selling options, don't sell five months of time. Whenever you're selling options, sell this month or next month. So the question is, how often can you do this? And the answer is, it depends how volatile the stock is and how available you are to watch the 55-minute chart. So easy way to go back and find a stock that moves around a lot and look how many opportunities you see on a 55 over the course of a few months. You'll be able to see that. Actually, it's pretty lucrative. Um, but it's, it's, it sounds weird. There's nothing in the stock market that's work. But this is a lot of work consistently. Next piece, Jenny Craig. Jenny Craig, if y'all, anyone not know who Jenny Craig is, like Weight Watchers? Okay, so Jenny Craig is a simple, stupid little term I put on this. The idea is to sell something fat and buy it when it's skinny. Jenny Craig. Okay, we're selling fat, we're buying skinny. So the idea behind this, and again, this one says don't even practice this until you can comfortably and accurately make predictions about stock movement. You probably will start this one after you do the ultra. So you're going to not do ultra for probably a couple of years. And after you get that down and kind of master getting your head around that, then I would look to maybe employ the Jenny Craig technique. Remember Ron Popeil, is that how you say his name? The set it and forget it guy? This trade is almost a set it and forget it. Is that how you say his name? Ron Popeil? That set it and forget it? Yeah, the pocket. That and also the little Ronco chicken spinner thing. So what happens is this trade takes very little, almost no monitoring. So once you're in the trade, you don't need to watch it. You look at it at the market open every day just to be sure it didn't crater on you. What I have done with this, I've used it to make a monthly payment on something. So I could afford the payment off of my income account, but I just did this to kind of keep me interested. So I had the cash backup if this account blew up, but the idea was to take this amount of money and try and grow it to pay for my toy. And it's all about, it's money management, if you will, just trying to keep it interesting. If you think about it too, from a money management view, you've got that financial house. Your smallest ROIs come from which account? Long-term holdings. Where do your largest ROIs come from? The trading account. Trading account, you get ROIs like this. Long-term holdings, you see this. Your income account is more like this. There's a big step down from trading to income to long-term holdings. The idea, what I've come up with this is to have another little pocket of money that's got not as bad of an ROI on the long-term holdings, but something that kind of keeps you engaged and just keep growing the pot of money and give yourself some kind of a reward for it. It's really about however you want to train your brain to 
keep you engaged. What happens is call premiums can be inflated. They're inflated for some reason. Don't know what the reason is, don't care, but it's some known volatility or likely future volatility that is present. So as an example, if we've got earnings coming up tomorrow on a company, when we go to buy call options on that company today, the options are going to be inflated because the market maker knows that there will be some people out there that will say, hey, IBM's going to announce earnings tomorrow. Let me buy a call option just before the close. And if it works, I'll cash in really big. Market maker understands that's what he's going to do is he's going to raise the price on the call options before you get in. He's going to, it's like going to a, a high-end nightclub. It's very popular. You've got to pay more at the door to get in. Go down the street, the place is a dump, and there's nobody in there, they'll let you in for free. But the quality ones, you've got to pay to get in. Same concept with options. So what we're going to do on this, the options get inflated because of some known pending news event. So what you do is you research to see what that pending news event is. Is it a legal case? Is it an FDA approval? Could it be earnings? Who knows? Could be any number of things, but you want to understand what that is. The market maker is going to jack up or inflate the premiums. It's called implied volatilities. Implied volatility rush. Basically, the balloon inflates. What you're going to do is buy stock and then sell calls. Sell that inflated premium. So you're going to sell the high price. And then you wait to either get exercised or if that news event goes against you, you look to buy back those calls at now a deflated price. So you're selling high and then looking to buy low and maybe have to sell the stock down there too, depending how bad the stock goes against you. So what you're doing is you're selling fat. You're selling a fat premium on the call options. Let the news hit and then you buy back skinny. Sell fat, buy skinny, like Jenny Craig. Okay? Silly name. I suppose I ought to put like a TM mark or something up there, huh? The way you're going to do this, you're going to use a stock screener in your broker's platform. I've seen this on Options Express. I've seen it on Fidelity. I've seen it on Schwab, or the three that I've looked at. Remember the first line says, don't worry about this for a while. So if you're new, don't call me and say, where is this? Right? Once you get to this point, call me. I'll step you through it on the phone. It's kind of hard to explain. What you're going to do, though, in that screener, we're looking for optionable stocks. We're going to be looking at calls, but we're looking for optionable stocks that have very high in-the-money call premiums for current month. So this month's options have an inflated call premium. At times, there might just be a couple of names. Other times, you might find a couple dozen names. What you're going to do, you're going to check the stock's charts, the daily, the 233, and the 55. What you're looking for is to identify all of the likely potential support or resistance areas on the chart below where you'd be buying in. You need to identify those. And the reason why is, if a stock is going to gap on bad news, it is most likely to pause at one of those areas. You've got to understand what those are. The ideal setup in doing this is one where the cost basis is well below all of those potential support areas. And the cost basis is when you buy the stock and sell the calls. If you're reading through this the first time, don't try and digest it. Just write down what I'm saying, grab it. You can read it later. So what you're going to do with this, you buy stock and then you immediately sell the calls. Now there's a caveat on immediately. You don't have to do it in the next second. 
I would suggest you do it probably before the end of the day because if the news gets released and you haven't sold the calls, you just screwed the pooch, right? You, you blew the whole purpose in doing the trade. So you buy the stock and then sell the calls. What you can do, an easy way to do this, buy the stock using the 55 or the 34, okay? Let it run up and then sell the calls. That's why I say immediately I put a, an asterisk or a caveat on that. But again, don't wait too long. Now, if the price remains above your strike price, you'll keep max profit at expiration. If the stock stays above your cost basis, you'll be profitable. Each morning, what you do, it, this is very, very intent. Okay, ready? This is very, very scientific. What you're going to do. On cue charts, on one of the line items on your watch list, you're going to have, if it's ABC stock, you have a line item for ABC. If that line, if when you look at it in the morning, if it's green, you're good. Don't ever look at it again the rest of the day. Very, very scientific. All you just want to be sure is that it didn't gap down huge against you. Okay? If you see a big red number there, now you got to go study it. See if it did. But if it's green or just down slightly, you're fine. Because okay? what you're trying to do, you want to be sure and ensure that the stock hasn't gapped down below that cost basis or that those previously identified support areas. Because if it does, now you might have to take action. As long as it stays above there, you're fine. You'll either get mat, you'll get somewhere between max profit and break or uh, profit. If it does gap down, what you're going to do then is check to see if the calls are deflated, i.e., how much time value is left. You may just elect to buy the calls back at a profit, sell the stock maybe at a loss, call it done, be done for the day. Okay, it's got less of a gain on the stock than you had originally expected, but you're still profitable because you made money on the calls. If you're confused, you're normal. Okay, so you buy stock, let it run up a little bit, sell calls. Here, I was an example right up here. So this is one I did a couple years back. So this is a pharmaceutical stock. It was trading at six fifty. Okay, so I bought however many shares I bought at six dollars and fifty cents each. The five dollar strike on the calls were going for two fifty. Okay, so what I could do is I buy stock for six and a half. I then sold a five dollar call which means someone could buy the stock for me for five bucks. Well, why would you do that? You'd lose a buck fifty. You're right. I do lose a dollar fifty on that, but I was given two fifty up front, so I really make a buck, right? So I, I would net a dollar on a six dollar and fifty cent investment. It's about a 15% ROI. Now, when I looked at the charts, the charts showed strong support at six dollars, at five fifty, at five, and at four fifty. I had a lot of potential support areas. What's my cost basis again? Four bucks. Where did I? I saw like four levels of support above that. I was very comfortable that this would stay north of that. Is there a chance it could gap under that? Yes, absolutely. Which is why I don't do this in the trading account. I set up a different account for this because you can get clobbered on one of these. By my research, I knew there was a pending FDA announcement. It's a farm stock. If price were to gap before the options expire, there's a chance it could gap in my favor. Going up, it could also gap down. I got to be very comfortable that if it gaps down, it's going to pause long enough at one of those potential support areas that I can close the trade if I want to. It's not uncommon, I guess, better way to say it, it's common to see a handful of percent, maybe up to 15, something like that, on one of these trades. And that'll show up within a month. Okay? Suggestion when you do this, practice this a ton. You want to be very comfortable with this.
Once you've got that, start with maybe five grand, parlay it into mid five figures. And then at that point, use the monthly gains to pay for something. If you want to donate the money, if you want to buy a toy car, a toy car, but a, you know, a play car, something like that, whatever you want to do, that's fine. Use it to buy the boat if you want. Use it for something fun, but have the money backed up in your income account. So if this trade goes to zero because it gets annihilated, you can still make the payment on the toy because there's always the chance that bad news could wipe it out. Do not do this on your income account. Do not do this on your income account. This can annihilate. The Next piece is the OEX. Key piece on this, if you work eight to five, do not trade an index. If you work eight to five, and what I mean by that is if you can't see the market during the day, do not trade an index. You're gonna, it's suicide. You will die and it will not be a slow death. It'll be quick. <laughs> and bloody and brutal. Don't even try. The OEX is the index of 100 stocks. Wide range of industries make up the S&P 100. You've got the S&P 500, which everybody knows. The OEX is the S&P 100. It is much less susceptible to news that will hit individual stocks. Trades on the OEX can be made intraday or can hold them over a few days. Totally up to you. If you're doing intraday OEX, you have to be able to see the market during the day. You've got to be able to see the market. These things move fast. The rules for the OEX are specific to the OEX. Don't apply these to other stocks. My suggestion, notice it's bolded. It says practice trade the OEX. Do not trade real money. It moves fast and it bites very hard. It will not just nip at you, it will bloody you, okay? Practicing this will teach you to be nimble and quick. Also, it's gonna give you a very hard and painful lesson on what happens if you're not nimble and quick, okay? I'd much rather you learn that lesson on paper than with real money. This thing moves like a freight train when it's moving. You gotta be in no hesitate mode. Got a question? Uh, it's an index, it's an index. With the OEX, different than others. You buy this month's options. Only with the OEX do you buy this month's options. We're not buying a bunch of time. You buy the strike that has the most volume. It's no more than five strikes out of the money. So we're going to look at volume of an option. How much option is being traded? This month's options. I'm going to look at five strikes out by the one that has the most volume. Again, this only applies with the OEX. I'm looking for my entries, my triple crosses on a 55 or a 34. For a precise entry then I use either the 8 or the 5, depending. Because it's an intraday chart, right? remember it's a 55 or a 34, so the trade chart's an intraday chart. Because of that, if you just do math on the number of candles, the trade's going to last a few hours up to potentially a couple of days. Don't stay in too long. You close the OEX trades no later than three hours before the close of expiration Friday. Why do you think that is? You will learn some very wonderful profane words to describe the market maker. If you're trying to get out near the close, he knows or she knows you got to get out. They won't let you out without a painful lesson. Trust me, don't learn it on your own. Okay? Do not stay in on expiration Friday any closer than about three hours to expiration. The market maker knows you got to get out. He's going to make it very painful, beneficial for him, for you to leave. Trust me. Don't learn it on your own. Take, 
Learn from my experience. You heard me say I used to be seven feet tall. Okay, two trading windows to watch for opportunities every month. The six to seven day window that encompasses the last three to four trading days of one month, followed by the first couple of days in the next month. And then also the eight trading days before expiration Friday. So it's expiration week and probably about Wednesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday of the prior week. You tend to see a lot of volatility in those two time frames. So it's the six or seven days at the end of the end and into the beginning of the next month. And then the eight days or so before expiration Friday. The options move incredibly fast. If you hesitate, crunch, blood, guts, pain, death. Any other good words you can think of? Don't stay in. Yeah, tears would be nice. I'd settle for that. This literally, it's like you're trying to pick up dimes in front of a steamroller that's moving fast. It's not worth it. Markham Maker is not nice. You'll especially learn he's not nice with the OEX. As you get to expiration Friday, do I need to keep hammering on that? Okay, you get the message. Get out by then. You're going to find as you go through this, there's a bunch of, somebody's asking about techniques that I've used or that I use more commonly. You're going to find even, you think, last, last week we talked about splits. This time we've talked about earnings. We talked about end of day trade. Then we talked about a couple man, money management approaches. Now we've got the OEX. You may find that you do splits really well. And you may find that you just stink at doing the OEX. You just can't get your head around it. Perfect. Find it out with paper money. And you may hear that the person sitting next to you does really well on the OEX. Just because they're doing well doesn't mean that you should try. If you've tried and have proven you can't do it well, trust your results and stick to what you do well. So if you can't, try the OAX, you've got to practice it to see. But if it ends up you suck at it, say, I, pl- I proudly wear the I suck hat, put it on, and I can't trade the OAX and don't do it. doesn't matter if someone, because when the people do well at this, they do really well. It'd be very lucrative. But them being good at it doesn't equate to you being good at it. Okay? So don't let that cloud your judgment. You're not going to be good at all this stuff. Figure out what you do well and then focus on those. Is the cues. QQQ, it's the NASDAQ 100, index of 100 stocks that comprise the NASDAQ. Primarily tech firms, medical firms, and it's an ETF, which is an exchange-traded fund. What you want to think of is the Qs are a stock that track the NASDAQ 100. They can trade just like stocks. You can buy them and sell it. Once you buy it, you could sell it the next second, just like you can a share of stock. But what you're buying is value in all 100 of those stocks. You can trade this intraday. You can do it over a multi-day. It's up to you. There actually will be times when the, when the queues can be traded multiple times in the same day. Trade it up and then trade it going back down the other way. Strike prices. This used to be a big deal. Now it's not so much because a lot more stocks have that. But it used to be the queues were the only place you could find dollar increments for strike prices. Now it's very common to see in many stocks. But for a while, the queues were the only game in town that had dollar increments. The premiums on Q's options are cheap, or can be cheap. Premiums on OEX options, very pricey. So given a choice, you probably want to look at the Q's versus the OEX. Volume on the Q's is massive. Unbelievable volume on the Q's. Your homework tonight, go look at the last three, four days of Q's volume. Look at the volume on the queues, and then look at the closing price and figure out the market cap. 
We did that one on First Solar where it traded like a billion two. We got a smartphone app up. You look at Friday's closing price on the queues just for grins if you can do it. Someone got it? You want to do it? 95? What was the volume? 27 million times 95 bucks. So it's basically, what's that? 2.7 billion? Queues? Doesn't sound right. What was the price of the queues? Is it? Mm-hmm. It's the queues. Okay. So 95 bucks, call it 100. Abraham, what was the volume again? 27 million? So 2.7 billion, right? Of queues. So think about that. You want to go swing a million dollars of queues trades? They're going to notice you? They won't even notice you. It, the nice thing about, and also the trading volume on the options is massive compared to any other stock. The nice thing about that is when you then go to look to buy or sell your options, the bid-ask spread is usually a penny, maybe a couple of pennies. So it's a very, very tight bid-ask spread. Also, because the massive volume and because the bid-ask is tight, it's usually easy to get out of trades quick. With the queues, you're going to use the same chart timeframes as every other stock. Use all the other indicators, just like every other methods. You got trades that last multiple days, and you can do trades that are intraday, that'll last multiple hours. When you see a Bollinger Band slingshot on the queues, pay very close attention. Said differently, for your homework, another homework assignment, go back and look at the queues charts over the last, I don't know, five, 10 years. Just follow your finger along the daily chart. Look at how many Bollinger Band setups you see and how well they work. Hint, hint, hint. Sure. So for the last, uh, back up the charts, maybe 10 years, five, 10 years, daily chart on the queues. Uh, look for when you see a Bollinger Band slingshot setup and watch what you see with regard to the results. In the queues, as with everything else, you got to learn to control your greed. Intraday trades typically give you small moves. Don't try and hang on too long trying to buy the farm or buy the ranch, or buy the HuntingtonHarbor.com home. Okay? Intra <laughs> voice of experience. Intraday cues. So if you're going to trade this on an intraday, we haven't talked about this chart before, you're going to use a 21-minute chart. Use the one-minute chart for precision on your entry. Wow! Nimble and quick. you got to be aware of the larger time frames. Use the 55 to determine the trend. Buy this month's options, go one strike in the money. Bid ask should be a penny or a couple pennies. Five, spent, five cents is pretty wide. You may see five cents if we're in an incredibly volatile day. It'd be pretty rare. Once you're filled, Denise is kind of like what we were talking about before, immediately place the GTC. You'll be able to read the chart. Eh, generally 10, 20 cents, something like that. Depends on the price of it. A nice little fun trade. Second half of the page. By the way, notice at the top of the page it says intraday cues. What do you think you would do if you can't see the market during the day? Don't do the trade. Pretty simple. Okay, multiple day. It's an ETF. Yeah, it's just like a stock. Yep. On the cues? Oh, no, there's options. Yeah. Uh, go back to the prior page. Okay, no problem. No problem. <laughs> That's okay. That's no, all right. I'm laughing because I have this one asking questions. This guy's saying, I got a question, but I don't dare ask. <laughs> All right, where was I? Multiple day cues. Just like any other stock, if the daily or 233, give a 3x, analyze it to see if there's a trade. Look and see how much profit opportunity you've got compared to the risk. Look at time of year, look at the bigger charts, just like you do with any other stock. Unless it's expiration week by this month's option. One strike in the money. If it's expiration week by next month, yes, they do have weeklies. Do the monthlies. 
Yeah, yeah, just do the monthlies. Be sure you're paying an acceptable bid-ask spread. Normal spread on these, a couple of pennies. One to two cents generally is what you're seeing these days. There are pros and cons to trading the queues. The nice thing about the queues, you're not going to get hit as hard from surprise news because it's spread out over 100 names. The downside to the queues, because it's an index, you don't get the benefit of it running as quickly on good news. So as an example, if you're in, I don't know, pick a stock, Celgene, and Celgene comes out with good news, Celgene will pop. It might move the queues a penny, might not move, move them at all. So the nice thing is you don't get slammed on news. The bad thing is you don't get the benefit of news, which is, you gotta pick your poison, or so you can't have both. Okay, exits on these, you get out on a reversal pattern, or when it's closing above or below a moving average, or when the two and the three cross going against the trade, or when you're happy, as long as there's intelligence in your happiness. Okay? Not just an emotional, oh cool, I just made X number of cents on the option. You gotta have some intelligence on there. Everything makes sense. <laughs> Good question. His question is, if you look at the cues, you can rank them by their oh, market weighting, I don't know what the word I was used, by the Weighted average, I guess, as far as which, like Apple's going to be, be the biggest impact on the queues. Are you going to take into consideration what might happen to the queues if Apple is coming up with earnings? I generally don't. I don't worry too much about it. I'm trying to think if I went back and looked, if I'd have been impacted differently, I, I don't worry about it. Not that anything I've ever thought about hasn't bugged me, hasn't, hasn't hurt me. I'm still alive, still over six feet, so I haven't dropped from seven to five. But I think I'm okay. One thing you got to realize too, if you and I are both looking to trade the queues, our entry should be very close, right? The entry is the same. You, we're going to be off by a couple of pennies depending on when we press enter, but our entry is still the same spot. Our exits can be wildly different. You got to understand that. So we could be in the exact same trade and have the exact same entry and have wildly different results because of the exit. And none of us, and it could be that we are all correct, right? You may have chosen to get out on a reversal pattern. Somebody else may have chosen to get out when the two and the three crossed. Somebody else said, it hit a moving average, I've got enough. Somebody else said, it hit the Bollinger Band, I've got enough. All of those are intelligent exits, all have different values, all of them would be correct. What you want to be aware of is that as you get more experience at this, your intelligent exit becomes more intelligent. I don't know how best to say that. Less emotional, more intelligent and more and, 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 if you will, on the reasons to get out. Remember what this is all about. It's about making a brick. The whole thing is to make a brick. Proper entry, intelligent exit, according to plan. And if that means you make 50 cents on it or 40 cents or $1.80, it doesn't matter. As long as it is a brick. Proper entry, intelligent exit. I love this term, dead cat bounce. Not my term. I'm not a fan of cats, which is why I love the term. Deathly allergic to them. What it is, it's meant to describe a scenario where a stock gets slammed and then bounces up a bit after having been slammed. The idea is if you took a dead cat and stood on the, we're in a, about a 13, 15 story building here. If you went up and stood on the roof and took that dead cat and threw it down on the ground as hard as you possibly could, cat's dead. When it hits the ground, it will bounce. Right? It's going to bounce a little bit. I don't know if it's going to bounce a foot or five feet, but it is going to have a little bit of air from the time. It's just a nice graphic analogy, isn't it? It's going to hit the ground and bounce. What's going to happen to that cat afterwards? It's going right back to the ground. 
Okay, what we're trying to do is catch that little tiny bounce up because we know it's going to bounce. I don't know how far it's going to bounce, but I know it's going to. So a dead cat bounce is usually preceded by bad news. It'll cause the stock to gap down 5% or more on a single day. Now be careful. There are some stocks that their normal course of action at points in history, they will gap 3 or 4 or 5% regularly. That ain't a dead cat bounce. I want something that is out of the norm or out of the realm of normalcy for that particular stock. And, and you know, there's no hard and fast. Oh, it was only a 4% drop. It's not a dead cat bounce. Don't, you're, you're being anal. You're being an engineer. Don't measure it. You'll be able to see it. What you're looking for with this, you're watching the price movement once the news happens. So what's going to happen is some news is going to come out and say, you know, XYZ company is going in the ditch because of whatever reason. Stocks and the, they'll be talking on it on CNBC at about 6 in the morning in L.A. Say, oh my God, did you hear the news? Boy, the pre-market trading ABC stock is down huge. Can't imagine what's going on. This is awful. And the stock will open up down a certain amount. People will, at, typically what you'll see is it'll open up and it'll drive down even lower. And then at some point, somebody gets the idea to say, wow, this is a great bargain. Let's go buy it. Called buying the dips. Understand dips by the dips. Okay, do not buy as a matter of practice don't do it in this trade we will what we're doing is we're buying the dip we're looking for a floor to be placed and then we're going to look to buy and be in this for a very short period of time on the bounce of that dead cat remember the cat's already dead all we're trying to do is catch a little bit of that rise all we're trying to do practice this a ton there is an art to this and someone's looking at me like i don't want to touch a dead cat there's nothing wrong with that at all. You want to take that approach, but practice it. It's okay to practice with dead cats, right? Because they're already dead. Some kinds of fun analogy I can have with this, but I'll let it go. It, could earnings be the catalyst for this? It certainly could. Okay, a lot of times what you'll see on these, these will end up looking almost like a slingshot off the Bollinger Bands, very similar to that. But it does not have to be outside the bands. If it is, you ought to be more excited about it. Okay, once it looks like the floor has been found, then what you look to do is enter, okay? You're going to watch the price area for the candlesticks to show reversal patterns. Watch for a majority of the indicators to signal. It works best if the indicators signal before you get in. What does that mean? It means it's a trade. You can just jump in and go, wow, it looks like price down 10 bucks. Let me just buy. You're just, you're, you're throwing darts at the wall, right? Throwing spaghetti at the wall. Wait for something to signal. Now, what time frame might you look at on this? Yes. Okay? You can see it on short time frames. Some, some you'll see in the large one. There's, you practice this. You'll see it. Okay? What you want to do with these, we're not in this trade for a long period of time. You're looking to buy in the money call options. Buy at least two weeks of time, but not more than six weeks. And whoa, 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 wait a minute. You said with the rules of calls, we buy five months of time. Yes, I did. How long do I expect to be in this trade? Minutes. Not, not two minutes, but I'm, not in, I'm certainly not taking this trade overnight. This is a day trade. I'm in this for a very, very short period of time. Once you get filled on this, keep an eye on the trade. If you have to run to the bathroom, that's fine. Don't go to the gym. Don't go out to breakfast. This thing can move quickly. Close the trade. Okay? You're going to exit on the same day as you get in. When price hits your target, get out. 
Do not get greedy. Don't worry about trying to stick around for the last quarter nickel or dime. Just close it, get out. The bounce could be 50 cents, could be a buck, could be higher depending on the stock. There will be times when price will try and test the opening price area. So you'll see it gap down. It'll be at 100 bucks. It'll gap to 95 and then run back up. It'll hit 100 right about there and then it'll roll right back down. If it gets up and tests that yesterday's close, that might not be a bad idea to call your trade done. But practice it. You'll see this. Do not get greedy with this. You got to get out before that day's close. Remember, there was bad news that slammed the stock and you're trading it up. You were picking nickels up in front of the locomotive, right? And a locomotive will crunch you. So you got to be nimble and quick. Don't get greedy. It's a bullish strategy around bad news that caused that stock to slam down. Yes, ma'am. Buy in the money calls. So generally, you look for about a 70 or higher delta. Absolutely. About a 70-ish. Her question was, what delta do I worry about? 70 plus. Because again, you find what we're looking at on this, I'm looking for a move, depending on the stock of the price, 50 cents a buck, couple of bucks, something like that. I don't want to have out of the money options because it's got to move a ton in order for me to make anything. So you could even do it depending on your capital base. I'll tell a story here in a minute where you could just buy stock and not even buy in the money call. So you just put a boatload of stock on the trade, run it up for a buck or two and close it. It's a really fun way to then go to work, right? Because you'll make a ton of money before your Cheerios get soggy on these things. But again, there's bad news around this. The stock is going down. You're trading up in that bad news environment. You've got to be very, very, very careful and very, very, very nimble and very, very non-greedy. It's very tempting to get greedy around this. Do not worry about it. Also, don't worry about it. So let's say the stock closed yesterday at 100 bucks. Today it gapped down to, I don't know, 94, 95. Let's say it gapped to 95. It dropped down to about 94. And now it's starting to rise again. You think, oh, this is perfect. This is perfect. Ah, you know, it was at 94. Now it's at 94.50. God, it'd be really nice if I could get it at 94 because, you know, I'd like to get it at the bottom. I don't want to buy. I don't pay too much. Now it's 94.75. Like, oh, come on, just come back down a little bit. 94.50. Now it's 95 and a quarter. You go, wow, shit, if I get back to 94.75, I'll buy that. And that'll be 96. You're like, oh, man, it'd be, God, it was at 94. And next thing you know, it's at 97.50. And while you're sitting there trying to scrape the quarter, you just missed a $3 move. It's going to happen to every single one of you. Be prepared. You got to be nimble and quick on this. Do not worry about getting the absolute best price. When you see the entry, you jump in. Okay, now remember what we talked about before. Where do you want to do most of your trading? On what time frames? Right? The, day, the big ones, the daily and the 233. Less stressful, more calm, very peaceful trading experience, large dollar moves. When you jump down to the smaller time frames, the intraday charts, very stressful, high anxiety trading, much greater loss ratio, lots of traps you got to watch out for. This is down in that zone. So you got to be aware of that. Practice this a bunch. You'll see them. You'll see lots of them and you'll find over the course of with a couple with months and years of experience, you'll be able to tell the ones you'll do. There'll be lots of ones you say, I'm not going to touch it, but that one looks really inverted dead cat bounce, which is what page two to 11. Okay, this is effectively the opposite of a dead cat bounce. I don't know what else to call it. So this is when stock gaps up. So good news causes stock price to rise, five-ish or more percent. 
And again, same rules applies on this. If you have a stock that normally is very gappy, that is not uncommon for it to gap three, four, five percent, a five percent gap on that may not be worthy of trading. You're looking for something that is gapping out of out of its norm. The news on this one, you want to be sure that it is not due to a takeover. Because a lot of times when it's due to a takeover, so company A says they're going to go buy smaller company B, company B stock price rises, you're not looking to trade those. Because generally when that happens, the price will stay there. So if that, let's say that the company being acquired or being pursued was trading at 40 bucks a share on Friday. On Monday, they make an announcement that say, hey, we want to buy this company. We're going to spend 50 bucks. Buffett says, I want to spend 50 bucks a share. The price will gap up to about 49.75, 49.80, something like that. It's going to stay there. You're not going to see it drop back down. You might even see it rise further. That scenario, you do not want to trade the strategy. Typically, the inverted dead cat bounce is earnings related. That's the most common place you'll see it. It doesn't have to be, but that's the most common spot to see it. It could also be to legal announcements. It could be to FDA announcements, any number of things. But the most common one is generally earnings. So with that, the, that inverted bounce, that inverted dead cat, it's preceded by good news. That's the heads up. Okay? It's going to cause it to gap up 5% or more. Be careful. You're going to find stocks that gap up smaller amounts. You see gaps every single day. I'm not worried about those. I want something that is outside of the norm. And again, it also depends on the stock. So for example, for a while, Google was gapping 3, 4, 5% regularly. That's not out of its norm. Okay, don't get caught up in that. Got a question? Could be. His question is, does it have to be stock-specific news or could be a broader, like a Fed announcement, a jobs report, housing start, something like that? It can be. Typically, you'll find they work better when it's stock-specific, right? Because if it's a broad thing, then the whole market will lift, and it tends not to drop back down. But practice it and see, and you'll see that if it's, if it's stock-specific news, it tends to be more volatile as opposed to the whole... If it lifts the whole market, generally, it's, it's a little more rare to see it pull back in that way. Yes? Uh-huh. That's going to be in about a page. Cover that in the next page. <laughs> no problem. Good lead-in, though. Proceeded by good news. So the next piece, what you're going to do, watch the price movement. You're looking to see when a top or ceiling looks like it's been formed. It commonly will look like a Bollinger Band slingshot, but it doesn't have to be outside the bands. But a lot of times it will be outside the bands, even on a smaller time frame. So you'll see the intradays will be outside the bands. Once it looks like prices hit a ceiling, then you're watching for candlestick reversal patterns. Then you watch for the indicators to signal that a down move is likely. As before, it works best if the indicators signal before you get in. It works best if, there's, if the indicators signal. What does that mean? Like everything else, proper entry, intelligent exit, according to plan. You got to trust the indicators. On this one, we're trading it down, so we're going to buy in the money puts. So you find back to your question before, you're looking for a 70 delta or even short the stock. By two weeks, not more than about six weeks of time. Once you're filled, don't go to the gym. Don't go out to breakfast. Don't go for the long six mile run, right? Stay near the screen. You're not gonna be in the trade for a long time. 
Don't go to the gym. There's someone in the back of the room that does these and then takes off to the gym. I won't look back at them. Once price hits your target, close the trade. Do not get greedy. Don't try and stick around and make the last dime. Close the trade. You might get 50 cents. You might get a buck. You might get a couple of bucks, depending on the size of it. Price can often go back to test the gap. So it's going to go back and test the prior day's close. If it's getting near there, it might not be an unwise thing to close the trade. Don't try and get greedy on these things. Remember, you got great news that came out that caused the stock to pop up, and you're catching the downward move there. And well, why does it move down? If there was such great news, wouldn't the stock just keep going and going and going and going and going and going? It can. But remember what happens is somebody bought the stock at 90 at some point back in the future, or back in the, sorry, in the past, somebody bought it at, let's say, 90. Stock ran up. Now it's sitting at 100, 105, 110. And then they looked the next morning and it gapped up to 117. Like, oh my God, sell. Let me just take it. And a bunch of people, for whatever reason, do that. That causes the price to drop. People just trying to bank the profits. All you're trying to do then is as they're selling, you're catching that downward move as it comes back in. But there was still good news there. Don't get married to this stock. You're trading totally against the news. It's a very quick trade. Do not hold this overnight, even if you get in the last hour of the day. Close it before the end of the day. Stocks tend to continue on the upward progression when you do that. Close it, but it's the, it is a day trade. Question? Volume of the stock? Uh, yeah, no, yes, no, yes, no. Do I look at volume? I will only look at a stock. I want to see about a half million shares traded on any stock before I'll even think of doing it. So I don't look at volume. To, I mean, if, it, if it's any on my watch list, it's got enough volume, right? So if it's some other names like Gap and if it trades 30,000 shares a day normally, I won't touch with anybody's. I would urge you to stay to far away. Say, well, yeah, but I could make a dollar or two. Yeah, but if you, may, if you want to make any kind of sizable money on that, you're going to be a huge portion of the day's volume. You, don't want, you want to be a rounding error where they don't even see you. I wouldn't even touch it. Key point on this, it's a bearish strategy around good news that's, that drove stock price higher. Don't get greedy. Realize this also, if you were to do business with a full-service broker, and call that broker and say, hey, good news came out on ABC stock. It gapped up you know, a huge amount of percentage. I want to buy puts. The broker will talk you out of it. He's got a fiduciary responsibility. He's going to say, or she is going to say, why would you look to trade this stock down? We just had great, phenomenal, good news. That makes no sense at all. They will do their best to talk you out of doing the trade. They're not doing anything wrong. Just understand. It's a very quick, nimble trade. If you talk to others about it, they will talk you out of it, okay? Both the dead cat bounce and the inverted dead cat bounce happen very, very, very quickly. You've got to be nimble. You've got to be very, very nimble. You're not going to make a fortune doing this. Do not, don't look at it and go, oh, Porsche.com, when this one works, I'm buying the new car because I'll be in this thing for weeks. It's very quick. You're very nimble. It's a brick. Proper entry, intelligent exit according to plan. Nothing is any different. Remember also, is this a big chart trade? No. You're trading on the smaller charts, which again, what does that mean? Is that stressful or is that calm? It's stressful. High anxiety, you're going to have a greater loss ratio or greater losing rate on the small charts than you do on the big ones. You've got to be aware of that. If it turns and goes against you, get 
out. Close it quick. There's always another one around. Okay? Close it quick. Next piece is insurance. When we have our long-term holding stocks, how long do we expect to hold them? Long-term. Kind of neat the way that works. To protect the value of your long-term holdings during longer periods of decline, extended periods of decline, what you can do is buy puts on that position, basically insuring the position. So what you want to think of is this. In fact, let's take a step back from it. I'm assuming everybody here drove or rode with somebody or can drive, which means, I hope, if you're legal, you have car insurance. But he's too young. And I'm assuming everybody has some kind of either life insurance or fire insurance or homeowner's insurance or renter's insurance as well. If you think about it, let's use the car insurance as an example. Let's say you get the policy January 1st every year. So on January 1st, you call your good friends at State Farm. You say, I'm in good hands. How much is it? And they'll say, for your car, your driving, a, or your experience, your, your age, blah, blah, blah. 1000 bucks a year. So we will insure Mr. or Mrs. Smith your car for 1000 bucks. The $20,000 car, should you wrap it around a pole, we'll write you a check for something close to twenty grand. And you say, great, and you send in a check for $1,000 and you've got your car coverage at whatever the limits of coverage are for auto insurance. When you write that check, you're expecting to never see the money again. You hope you never see another dime out of it because the only way you collect on insurance is your car has to be destroyed. So as long as the asset doesn't decline in value, i.e. your car gets totaled, stolen, wrapped around a pole, whatever it is, the money that you spent on insurance is gone. You write the check, you expect never to see it again. And nobody is, you don't like writing the check, but no one's bothered by the concept that you're not going to get the money back. Does that make sense? Think about it that way. Go the other way. How about life insurance? You write the check for life insurance. I hope you're not pissed off you didn't collect this year. <laughs> Right? You're betting the insurance company you're going to die, and they're betting you that they're not, that you're not. It's really what it, what's going on with it. But you're not annoyed that you didn't collect on your life insurance policy this year. The same attitude is, some, is you have to possess the same attitude when you think of buying insurance on your long term holdings. You're buying it to protect the value of the asset, you're not buying it to make money. You're buying it to protect the value of the asset. So that if that asset declines, you make money on the insurance. But if you don't, that's okay. Because that says you didn't lose money on the value of the asset. Let me say it in a different example. You live in Malibu. You live in a ravine. In fact, now you live at the top of a ridge. And that whole ravine, the whole thing is all overgrown with dry brush. It's September. We've had a very rainy spring and a very dry summer. You buy fire insurance because now the Santa Ana's are kicking in and now there's a fire and fortunately your house didn't burn down. Were you pissed off you didn't get to collect on the insurance? No, you bought it for insurance as a just in case. When you buy puts for your long-term holdings, it's okay if the value of the puts do not go up. It means that your long-term holdings didn't drop. It's like, dude, why, not, why are you hammering on this? Because people get confused. You buy insurance to protect the value of the asset. But if the value of the asset does not decline, it's not the end of the world. Insurance is just that. So buying puts on your long-term holdings is designed to protect the value of that asset. So now, how do we do this? So now imagine your charts, you look at your 
for an extended period of time, which means probably a weekly chart. You look at that and you say, boy, everything is set up. I get it, hit the band, spread the band, come off the band, the upper band, and now all the indicators cross going down. That stock is going to go what direction? It's going to go down. And if I see it on a weekly chart, it's going to go down for weeks, which says if I've got a boatload of money tied up in some or all of my long-term holdings, that says my net worth is probably going to decline. So if I've got a bazillion shares of IBM, IBM hit the upper band on the weekly chart, spread the band, comes off the band, and now gives me a 3x on a weekly chart, it's going to go down for weeks, which means I expect my bazillion dollars in IBM to be something less than a bazillion dollars by the time the downturn is done. I want to protect that. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to buy insurance, but I don't go to State Farm or Allstate, I go to the market. I go to the market maker and I buy puts. Now, to understand what you want to do, go back and reread the speaking Greek section from class three, and that will help you understand which puts to buy. What I'd suggest you do is buy three months of time beyond where you think the stock decline will end. Well, how do I know where it's going to end? Well, I've been telling you for the last 10 weeks, how long does a move typically last? X number of candles, right? As high as in the high teens. So if it were to last for 18 candles, let's say, 18 candles on a weekly chart is about how long? Four or five months, right? And I'm saying by three months beyond that, so you're going to buy seven, eight, nine months of time. Oh, I get it. That's pretty simple, huh? Yeah. So well, what if I don't expect the move to last 18 candles? Then you buy a little bit less. How do I know what it's going to last? About nine months from now, you go back and look and go, oh, that's how long it lasted. There's no way to know. But just through an educated guess, if you will, through experience, you get a sense of it. You're not going to be perfect. Not trying to be. All I'm looking to do is to protect the value of the asset of a long-term holding stock in a period of decline, of extended decline. Now with this, this is going to sound a little confusing. It's actually very easy. Delta is a Greek. Didn't sound right. There are a number of ways to measure the movement of an option. They are known as the Greeks. There's five factors that come into play with this. One of those terms, or one of the Greeks, is something known as delta. Delta says if the underlying stock moves a dollar, how much will the option move? Whatever that number is, is its delta. So if it'll move 50 cents, it has a delta of 50. If it'll move 20 cents, in theory, it has a delta of 20. Stock by itself has a delta of one. So what you want to think of is this. If you own one share of stock in your portfolio, you are said to be positive one delta. If you own 100 shares of stock, you're positive 100 deltas. What if I own four different companies, each with 100 shares? Then you're positive 400 deltas. You're 100 deltas of IBM, 100 of Microsoft, 100 of Boeing, 100 of Disney, whatever you've got. But in aggregate, you would be positive, in that example, 400 deltas or 100 deltas on IBM. Let's use IBM as the example. So if I've got 100 shares of IBM, in fact, let's make it 1,000 shares. Math is easier. So I have 1,000 shares of IBM in my portfolio. How many positive deltas do I have? 1,000, right? What I want to do with puts, and puts really are insurance. What I want to do with puts is I want to be able to, sh I want to, assure myself or insure with an E, I want to insure with an E that I have the equivalent number of 
put deltas as I do stock deltas. Okay? Call del calls have a delta of a positive number. Puts have a negative delta. So if I own a thousand deltas of IBM, which says I'm, I own a thousand shares, and I want to insure IBM, how many puts, how many put deltas must I buy? Negative 1,000, right? Or a thousand, uh, equivalent of a thousand inputs. And at the money put by definition, or at the money option has a delta of 50 or 0.5. So if I want to insure with an at the money put that has a delta of negative 0.5, I would need to buy not 1,000, but 2,000 worth. So I would be, divide by 100, that'd be 20 contracts. So I would have to buy 20 contracts of an at-the-money put on IBM, which would give me negative 1,000 deltas for the puts combined with my 1,000 deltas on the stock. I'm now what's known as delta neutral. What that means is if the stock were to move a dollar down, I would lose however many dollars on the stock. I would make that many dollars on the option. So I'm going to be about flat. It doesn't work precisely to that. It's a, it's a little art, not as much science. It's a smidge of science. It's a smidge of art. But that's the objective. Now, what gets interesting on this is kind of an odd beast of this. It depends how quickly the stock moves, but it is not uncommon. Let's say that you were to go buy, and let's say you had 1,000 shares. I think in the book I said 500. We'll go with 500. If I have 500 shares of IBM and I want to insure it, and I want to do it with an at-the-money option, that would say I'd have to buy 1,000 puts, or 1,000 put deltas, right? Negative 1,000 to be precise. So I would buy 10 contracts. If the stock has a quick decline, it's not uncommon for what you lose on the stock to be less than what you make on the option, on the puts. Did he just say I'll make money on that? Yes, I did. I said it in a negative, in a, like a lawyer way. <laughs> They didn't understand it. If the stock has a quick decline, it's not, it's not a guarantee, but it's not uncommon that if you were at delta neutral just before the decline and it drops fast, your net, balance, your net worth will go up. You'll make more on the puts than you'll lose on the stock. I don't know why. I don't question it. It's cool. Delta goes up, but it goes faster. And so what's nice then, it's really an odd thing. You will be in, you'll, your friends will know that you have a boatload of shares of IBM or whatever company it is, and you'll go insure it. You don't tell them. You buy puts. And then some bad news, because those charts are set up, and then it falls, and then it falls hard fast. And your friends will see you go, oh, man, isn't that horrible? You just took a big hit on IBM. Well, yeah, I really did. I can't do it. Try doing that. Yes, I did. And you did take a big hit on the stock, but you made money on the puts, and your net worth actually goes up. And then what you'll do is you'll stay in that until the decline is over. You sell the puts, and now you've got cash available that sits in your long-term holding account. You got it, Steve. That's exactly it. And now what you're going to do is you're going to use that cash to buy more shares. You're doing dollar cost averaging, but not over days, over decades. It's very, very cool. There's a better word than I need a thesaurus. Cool just covers everything. But it's, it's incredibly powerful. Now the question comes up, when I look to do insurance, should I buy the at-the-money puts like you just said? What if I buy a put that has a delta of one or negative one? Could I do that? The answer is you certainly can. It's going to cost you a lot of money, but you wouldn't need to buy as many. right? If I'm doing at-the-money, I have to buy double the number of 
shares. If I got 500, I'd have to buy 10 contracts. If I bought a deep in the money, I might only have to buy five contracts. But man, that's expensive. And well, what if I split the difference? What if I get something that's like somewhere between 0.5 and 0.7? Do the math on that. Maybe you only need to buy, you know, one and a half times as much. And you run the math on these and the answer becomes clear as to what's the right answer. So what is the right answer? You're going to go figure it out. And then you'll understand. Because if I tell you the answer and you go, well, this one didn't quite work that way, then you go figure it out. So it explains how to do it in the book. It explains up here again. So what I want you to do, when, if you want to practice these, when you know the market's a little toppy these days, isn't it? Maybe not to give any suggestions, but might be a little toppy. Should you see one of your long-term holding candidates look to be rolling over on a weekly chart? It probably would be a in very intelligent thing, even though you may not own shares of this long-term holding stock yet. A smart person that blunt enough, would practice this to say, hey, if I owned a thousand shares of IBM or Microsoft or Dell or, or Boeing or Disney, whatever you got, and it's rolling over, let me practice buying insurance so that when I get to the point where I do own a thousand shares of said stock, I know what to do. Because we're kind of looking near the top on something. We could run higher, and I've said this, and we'll probably run to the moon, right? But we've been looking toppy for a while. At some point, we got to roll over. I don't know if it's going to happen Monday or in a year. I have no idea. It'll happen at some point. Not worried about it. When it does, I would strongly urge you to practice this. You say, but I don't have any long-term holdings. You forgot one word. Yet, practice this. The idea again, remember the, the purpose of this is to build up your long-term holdings value. The initial step is financial freedom. But ultimately, it's to build up a big, huge pile of cash that's, you know, I'm about six feet tall. I want it to be waist deep in hundreds, running from that wall to that wall, just like that. Pallet, pallets of hundreds just stacked there that I just have to kind of wade through. And if it's starting to roll over, I'd like to know how to ensure some of that. I strongly urge you to do this when we get to the point of the market rolling over. Practice it on a bunch of stocks just to see what happens. You're not going to lose anything. Remember one thing also too, and it works really well with fire insurance on a house. Works this way with car insurance as well. Car insurance looks really expensive until you wreck your car. Fire insurance looks incredibly expensive until your house burns down. Puts are going to look incredibly expensive on your long-term holdings until that stock goes from 100 bucks a share down to 40 and you just gave back 60% of your net worth because you didn't have the smarts to practice it when I told you to. So that when the time comes and actually does and you've got the money, you're going to say, oh man, that's an expensive lesson.